football pod on OTB Sports. It's unreal. Evening getting longer. Football National League is back. Good times. Look at this. The positivity train. Go back, Jimmy. The football pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. Alright, very welcome along, Tuesday morning, we've got a very busy show for you, we've also got the opportunity for um, potentially somebody listening this morning to head off to France this weekend to watch Ireland in Paris. What's going to happen? What's realistically going to happen? Tell us, tell us on our YouTube channel, tell us uh, at Off The Ball AM on Twitter what you think is realistically going to happen. Now that the dust has settled from the weekend and the false bravado and the fear, it was that kind of curious mix of like... Well, actually, most players are fit. The players who are injured uh, are bench players, and uh, we seem to be doing okay at the moment. So, what what level of confidence do you have out there? What level of confidence do you have? I, I check check the calendar, and it gives me great confidence. Twenty twenty two. Oh, it's our winning year. Yeah, it's a winning yeah, sorry, year. Sorry, I forgot. It's so twenty eighteen all over again. Well, we won't crush. It'll be a last minute spinning, spinning. That was the thing about it. That you know, t- two thousand and nine was uh, kind of like a, a perfect. Uh, condition for Ireland to, to win the Grand Slam because you know it was the the two tough games at home and uh, the the third toughest game obviously on on the road famously at the end uh, there was never a chance that Ireland were going to win a Grand Slam on the road in an even number year and that's exactly what happened in 2018 obviously France were just at the bottom of their curve about to, to come on their way back up maybe they just started to climb at that point and um, England obviously weren't great so can we hope for the same thing this year well, I think uh, England have shown kind of a, a certain sense of shakiness at the weekend. There's certainly enough uh, noise around them, which probably is convenient, to oh, be honest. Yeah, and yeah. then, like, I mean, I, uh, there is the, the old cliche about France, which people don't need to hear this morning. Um, but uh, it, do, it does exist for a reason. And it's been 11, possibly 12 long years for them without that championship, which is a stupidly long time for it a is, country of their size. This, this, the fact that this is the second game, if this was like the fourth or fifth game, they would, uh, you might be able to believe that you could get in their heads and there might be a bit of choking possible. But it feels like it's too far away for them to be even thinking about the tournament. Yeah, fair. Like, but I guess then if you look at it the other way, if you think that they are going to choke at some point in this year's championship, do you think that Ireland will win the rest of their games outside of France? Like, I think there's... Oh, I think there's a good chance we win the championship, yeah. Because it's France, England on the last day, isn't it? The Grand Slam is what we want. Um, yeah, I, I... Maybe we don't want a Grand Slam. Right. Maybe that would just... But of course you want a Grand Slam. You want to win every game. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know... Oh, jeez, we scored too early. Scored too early. Like, that, that, we that we hit it almost too well. By beating Wales, we've scored too early. Well, it'll be, oh, jeez, a Grand Slam disaster. By beating the All Blacks, we scored too early. Yeah, we have, definitely. By... Um, by Mac Hansen getting signed for Connacht by two years too early. Too early. Two, or, two years too early. <laughs> Can we swap all those three three wins in five matches for one win in one match at the World Cup? Could we do that? Yeah, is that possible? That, that's we, that's the a, deal you make. A barter system that you can do. That's what happens in rugby. It's exactly what happens. Um, like I, I think that this this French team are obviously gifted beyond belief. Give me your proof of of what they've won so far, and um, and, and 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 let's and let's chat then. Of course, this is more than likely going to be the year where they do start to win. But I think I think there's enough enough there to to give us hope that this will be a very very interesting championship for a few more weeks yet. I think if France win this weekend, though, it's like okay, that's that's their championship, right? And it's like, will they do the Grand Slam or not? And that's the only question that remains yeah. to be answered. Oh yeah, totally. At that stage, uh, very difficult to see us coming back. I, like this is one of those games that you think will be in the melting pot right till the end. And would you be terribly surprised if it actually ended up a draw? I wouldn't. No, and 
I think even the fact that we're talking about that shows that Ireland have made a lot of positive progress over the last 18 months because they'd feel that the delayed Six Nations game in 2020, there was a gulf between the sides. Last year, maybe even there was, it felt that there was a bit of a gap between the two teams as well. And you look at the age profile of that France team and you think to yourself, well, that gap's only going to get bigger. And it hasn't. It's closed over the last little while. Obviously, they matched one another's results in the autumn. And France were... You could say on the scoreboard, it was it was arguably a less impressive win for them over Italy than Ireland's was over Wales. I know Wales aren't in great shape at the moment, but France didn't exactly blow Italy away. Ah, uh, but France hate playing Italy. They're bored of it. It's too easy for them. They've won the Garibaldi uh, Trophy too many times, it's or just, whatever. It's like, and so I frequently you'll see them like two or three tries down the match, not yeah. three, but like sometimes they're they're That's, like. That, does that not speak to what, a reason why we can look at this Irish team with a degree of hope this weekend? No, I don't think. I don't. I think that uh, you've got to take. Each game on its merits there, <laughs> Owen. Yeah. Yeah, but like, does that not speak to a sort of... A sort of um, this game on its merits is like a good team versus a potentially great team. It, or two great teams against each other. And look... You're playing Italy first day in a, in a championship that you know is going to be competitive this year. You've got to rack up the score. No, you're just getting, you're just getting fit because you know you're going to win every game. You're going to do the slam. It's not going to matter. But like, that's it, exactly. As, as you're smoking there looking at the, the little Irishman coming over. To your big city, not so little, not such, but they're not little such pygmies to, anymore. They're little to them. The 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 flabbiness around the oxers has disappeared. Well, what do you think the the Irish uh, view is in France? What do you think they think of us? The French farmers who yeah. who, who like rugby. The French farmers think of the Irish farmers. Oh, I think they they like the fact that um, we can match them brown liquor for brown liquor. Yeah, yeah okay, that that is that's a very good point. I I, I think that they just would would turn. Do the, the rich French people like the rich Irish people? I'd say they probably do. <laughs> I would say there's a, as a, there's a degree of looking down the nose from from France's perspective, and at everybody else in the Six Nations. To be fair, I mean they they are more handsome than us. They, um, well, that's just, they have a possibly a nicer cuisine than us. They have. I a think nicer French climate. cuisine is massively overrated. You think so? Yeah. Oh, here we go. Get ready, media Olympique. <laughs> Start transcribing now. Oh, Shock no. Jock Jared Gilroy. Has a go at French cuisine. Come on, give it to us this morning. I just think it's massively overrated. I don't necessarily disagree with you, by the way. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm intrigued in this If take. you were to rank cuisines in in, Fra- in Europe, it would go Italian, yeah. Spanish. It would go Italian, Basque, Spanish. And, uh, I mean, French. I don't even know if... Like, I'd say French is actually closer to German cuisine. That's where it Which is. Which is bad. It, uh, German cuisine is surprisingly good, actually. Okay. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's better than you might think. Like what would be what what would be the dish that that gave you the the most uh, contempt for French cuisine? Uh, well, like I mean, I like their cassoulet in winter, but like, are you are you really telling me this like plate of gruel is the best you've got? Okay, fair enough, we're good. I mean, okay, fine, it's good. It's but it's not like, and the gourmand stuff that they they make is kind of like it must have been impressive in the sixties, I'm sure, <laughs> but it sure as shit has not evolved. Uh, anyway, like, I mean, uh, you're making me sound like a complete wanker. <laughs> yes, it is my fault that you sound like a complete wanker. It is your fault. <laughs> Video Olympic. I hope you're listening. That was uh, that, that, that. Like, I mean, the thing is, you've you couldn't call Wales every name under the sun. You can call them terrible, terrible things. The the equitable thing to do with France is to slag off their food, and you've just done that. And um, the uh, all, all the little restaurants around Lyon are, are shaking their head at you right now and they're, they're preparing to, to come at you with their pitchforks this weekend. I mean, sorry, Lyonnais potatoes, very nice. Okay, he's on, he's on the way back here. He's on the way back. Go on, uh, compliment croissants there. 
Overrated. Very buttery, you know, not great for the arteries. It's true. Uh, it's 7.38 this morning. If you want to get in touch, you can leave a comment in the YouTube stream where you can abuse us wholeheartedly at our own Twitter accounts or at Off The Ball AM. OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. Ireland involved in hosting the Euros. Uh, this, this is a little less ambitious than the ridiculousness around the World Cup where... Um, I can't even remember who it was was telling us we needed a new stadium it's like at least with this we're not getting any new stadiums we're using the existing stadiums and perhaps even uh, the six counties will have uh, government investment in Caseman Park because Northern Ireland are part of the bid right the Northern Ireland FA but they don't have a ground that's going to work because Windsor Park is too small which means the only 30,000-plus 30, 30, seater stadium available to them would be Casement, which obviously isn't built, right? There's a judicial review that's going to happen in uh, in March, and uh, the Northern Ireland FA have said that they are interested in hosting games. They want to be a full part of this, and that they know they have to work with partners, primarily government partners, to make sure they have a stadium that's capable of doing that. So, uh, ultimately, this will be good news if um, that stadium, which you know really should have been fixed ages ago finally gets over the line other than that like uh, we had Neil O'Reardon on making a a very potent case that it's very easy for a small organisation like the FAI to get distracted by what goes into a bid at least with this there are five other parts to it I mean reading the English papers this morning Henry Winter very interesting is like everybody hates us so we really need the the human shield of uh, the Scots the Irish the Welsh um to help us win some favour from uh, UEFA and the rest of Europe, you know, what with us deciding to pull out of Europe. And now, oh no, we really want to get back in. So, um, The Telegraph are angling it by posing this as a fight between UK and Ireland and Russia. So will we see the Cork fishermen out front and centre as Ireland bid to take down Russia? We should get them Euro to give us some advice. 100%. What, what should we do here, lads? We've literally defeated them in uh, in, a, in our own version of the Cold War. So can we beat them in, in a war for this? I, I suspect we can. Like, uh, it's... I mean, y- you say that there is no chance for this to get ridiculous in the way that, say, the, the, the stadium plan for 2030 would have been ridiculous. But I, th- I think you probably underestimate the power of the politician's mind. You're right. And, uh, and what sort of ideas may actually come into the pipeline between now and the year 2028. They're lying in a fevered room at the moment. Like, the fever has yet to break. But when it does... They will pour forth on such an ecstasy of ideas about how they can make out like bandits for this, claim credit for it, make sure they're at the official ceremonial giant scissors of whatever it is that's getting cut. Yeah. That's Euros related. You better believe that there is... Free ar- footballs for everybody. A free football. Five million free footballs for every man, woman and monkey in Ireland. <laughs> you better believe that there is a, a TD... Representing Roscommon South Leitrim, thinking about how do I get an eighty thousand seater stadium into my constituency as a result of this this bid right now, I can. Uh, who can blame them? I mean, you got to hop on this bandwagon while you can. This they is a good turn news story. The, they could turn the corporate boxes into social housing afterwards. Absolutely, win 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 win. That's that's the legacy of it all. But the remind me of the the casement situation. It's a massive job, right? That like even to get this over the line in time. Um, I know. I think. Well, I think it'd be easy. Well, like it, uh, where there's a will, there's a way. There's been no will from. It's been locked in. It has been unfortunately 
uh, paralleled by the complete dysfunctionality of the failed state that is Northern Ireland and the political system that has been uh, falling apart. Uh, like it's it's kind of the physical manifestation of politics in Northern Ireland. The pitch completely overgrown. Uh, weeds locked in all sorts of lack of funding. The funding was agreed, but because that's um, that Declan Bogue did a great piece with us ages and ages ago. It was like a couple of years back, pre-pandemic before. And then, um, so uh, Brian McAvoy, a friend of the show, is on uh, today saying that there's a judicial review in March and nothing will be, they can't say yes, we would definitely be part of this, but they have a friendly relationship with the uh, Irish Football Association and I'm sure a deal could be done. So this yeah. is this is their opportunity to, you know, make sure that uh, funding is forthcoming from the relevant uh, government department to get it done and get it done fast and get it done properly. And I mean, look, I mean, you're not going to paint it as a, as a bad news story, but still a, a penny for the thoughts of anybody who's been involved with Antrim GEA over the last five or six years and the frustration of staring at those weeds growing on the park, kind of feeling a little bit helpless about what was going on. And all of a sudden, there's a shiny new tournament in town and uh, all of a sudden things move a little bit quicker through the courts yeah do you, do, you, do you get pissed off about that or are you delighted about the fact that you can actually limp it onto this and use this now as a way to get over so as I say you can't really paint it as a bad news story if it's going to get done and that's the reality of the situation in, in the north unfortunately but uh, still it shouldn't be that way it, like this shouldn't be a story no, that, it was, that we're still talking about it, it seemed to be a project that was uh, that had its merits and that as a result should have had the support but it didn't have the support uh, as I said Northern Ireland a failed state so OTBAM brought to you by Gillette good morning start with Gillette put your best face forward with their new and improved razors Dara says sweet Jesus what are you doing Jar? stop oh great insulting French cuisine that'll go down well I mean look <laughs> they're self-confident enough to know that they had their day they had good food for a while the rest of the world copied it improved on it and, I, you know, it's not that good anymore. F- 15 French meals you have to, to try. I'm not sure how many of these you've actually tried. Have you had steak frites? I mean, steak and chips, yes. Yeah. Give me a rating out of that. Give me a rating out of 10 for that. Uh, I don't even. Do they do, like, uh, is their steak, are steaks better? There you go. So give us a rating. Six. Chicken confit. That's just chicken on the bone, right? Yeah. I think so. Like, again, grand. French onion soup. Very good. Okay. Very good. French onion soup is excellent. That, that's your art. Give that a 10 out of 10 there. And, and give that an 8. Give that an 8. Okay, we're back. We're back on side. Quiche Loran. I mean... A, the quiches a, are great. I mean, that's, but that's a plain, boring quiche, like... Yeah. I'm giving that but, a... Uh, Real Men Don't Eat Quiche was the phrase du jour in the 80s. I'll give that a 6.5. And, and actually, here's an interesting one. A fifth and final one. Uh, croc Monsieur. Well, why are you giving that out of 10? You see a good Croc Monsieur now. <laughs> but I mean, it's just a it's toasty. It's toasty. Yeah. Go to like... Grilla or one of those uh, trucks around Dublin. There are, you, there you are other better, toasties out there, but if Grilla want to send us in yes. some breakfast ones, we'd be happy. We'd be delighted. It, it, you would get a better croque monsieur in a place like that in Dublin. So what are you would. giving them? I, I like. I'm. Oh, hey, this this is this is your baby here. I'm not. I'm not a foodie by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, croque monsieur, a good toasty. You can't. You can't. You can't go can't, wrong with it. But it's a. It's a. I know. Okay, seven. I was going to say it's a fancy name for toasty, but it is literally their language, so, so it's not fancy at all. But, uh, <laughs> well, it like, is fancy. Yeah, I guess it is. It, it I mean, a croque madame with the egg. Mm, yes, please. Yeah, I haven't had one of those. Oh yeah. Yeah, it is good. Don't get me wrong, but like, I mean, it's it, it's nothing imaginative. Uh, no, it isn't. It's just a toasty. In fairness, you know, they, maybe they, they, they made toasties better than everybody else a long time. This is my point. They rested on their laurels. They create great toasties. Have they innovated? No, they haven't. Mm-hmm. Our toasties are probably now better. Yeah, exactly. We've moved on. We have. 
I mean, they, 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 that was the Antoine Dupont of uh, the, the food world, and it just hasn't developed into the all-time great scrum half that we expected it to be. Exactly. They've, they've stalled. Uh, Ireland can be optimistic because France had an easy game at the weekend, says James. If we take a decent lead, you know the French may wilt. And Jack says, historically, Italy always get progressively worse as the tournament gets on, so I wouldn't read too much into France's performance last Sunday. Uh, will Ulster GA officials agree to allowing Casement to be used for the Euros, says Mark? Yes, they will. I think that's... Um, I think that's fairly obvious at this point that that is going to happen. So, look, we'll, we'll keep a very close eye on this. We haven't even talked about the FAI strategy. It's mad that the FAI announced a huge new strategic direction on the same day that the news comes out about the joint Euros bid. Why would you do that? Why would you have these two things on the same day when one is supposed to be a triumph, a tone setter, this is us. We've got we've wrestled control of the organization back from the, the past that we had. Oh, look, we also had this other thing going on today, too, which is absolutely massive, which we're a junior partner in. Th- th- these two things are happening. Why would you do those on the same day? Is it because you're not fully confident in the promises you're making and the strategy that you have? Is it that it's not finished? Or is it totally finished and you're really proud of it and you're, you're there banging the table for it and you're saying, this organization is an organization you can back. As a fan, as a, as a football lover, as a parent, as a participant, as a sponsor, you can back this organisation. We're proud of this. Or is it a little like, oh, why don't we do it on the same day? It's the best day ever for us. And then nobody will actually pay too much attention to what's in the document. Because actually everybody's <coughs> thinking about the Euros. What's going on? Why, why is, how, how does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know, may, maybe it's the greatest day that the FAI have had in a long time and everybody's talking about this as opposed to um, parsing through the details of the strategy. If, if the FAI don't realise that a bid for a major tournament isn't going to capture all the headlines in the sports pages and in the news pages, then they really don't understand how, how football works. So I think that they've got a very good understanding of what would be front and centre today when it comes to those back pages. All right. Very special competition for you today. Aer Lingus is the official airline of the Irish rugby team, bringing home advantage to wherever the team plays. And to celebrate, we have an amazing prize of a pair of match tickets, flights and two nights accommodation to be won for this weekend's Six Nations clash between France and Ireland, as well as a signed jersey. Daily winners will get an Irish jersey and be with the chance to win that amazing overall prize. Just tell us who our mystery voice is. Props are a different animal. They're like wrestlers or boxers of a fighting weight. That's a fair point. Props are a different animal. They've, they're like wrestlers or boxers of a fighting weight. To enter, you can WhatsApp the answer to 0879-180-180. You can tweet us at Off the Ball, or you can comment on the YouTube channel. Each daily winner will also win an Ireland jersey and go into the draw on Thursday for the grand prize as well. Now, it is 7.48. It is time for... Oof. I wouldn't say they're a crisis, but they're an emergency update. Power rankings. Some of these critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. Very interesting weekend last weekend. It was. The inspirational, the all-time correct power rankings are back for week two, as we bring you from county number 32 to county number one. 
in inter-county Gaelic football. Before we get into this, did you have a good Saturday night? What afterwards, you know, there was like you were saying, you were mildly complaining about the fact that the Dubs had either not gone to the game or had left the game at halftime and had commandeered all the, the good seats in the pub. But then you were like, they serenaded you with the sing-song. You didn't say whether or not you liked, you were accepted, you were like nose up to the... Oh, look at this. This smells like... Jackie nonsense. What, what what was your take on the sing song and the rest of the the events? Yeah, it was. I mean, absolute nonsense is right. I, I wanted just a, a cold, calculated uh, post uh, post match analysis sort of scenario, not a post match sing song. Who wants that? Who wants to be happy? It's all about being uh, bogged down in the detail and just getting uh, disgustingly at one with the statistics and the performance of both teams and show. That's all you want after a game. Well, I mean, you can do that the, the morning after when you rewatch the game, which you said you did rewatch the game. I don't know if you rewatched too many of the defeats that Kerry have, but certainly you were like, when I rewatched that game again, I got to see all the things that I was like, ah. Oh. This is this is no word of like, I only actually rewatched the second half of the game the second day. I, oh, I, I, right. So okay. Just, wow. You're only getting what a masochist. In, only getting bogged down in the, the grim details, as I say, of it. That's... That, that's what the league is all about. Okay. Fair, I just woke up a little bit late. My dad had already watched the first half, so by the time <laughs> I got there, it's just second half. So but that's all I needed to see. The night was so good, I was uh, laid up on Sunday. All, all I needed to see was uh, was the second half of that game because that's the only half that mattered. Uh, number 32, yeah. we, we do the countdown. Number 32 <coughs> is uh, is Carlo staying put where they are. Understrength team at the weekend, got hammered by Sligo by 23 points. They that's were, mad. Yeah, it's crazy. They're missing eight starters. I think they feel quite screwed over about what happened the previous week, the one-point defeat to London. Not happy with the referee there at all, but still losing to London. They were 10 points up to London, though. Yeah. Do you know, if you lose a game and you're 10 points up and you blame the referee, there's something wrong with the culture. Yeah. Um, So they're not not going well, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Wexford are in at number 31. They lost to Cavan at the weekend. Waterford, they drew a tip on week one, lost to London by a point at the weekend. So uh, they're in at 30. London then go up because they've won back-to-back weeks, back-to-back one-point wins Amazing for London. And uh, the good times are coming. I'm below to say that they're a promotion candidate just yet. I think that would be a bit of a stretch given some of the other counties in that division four. But still, what a start it's been for London and they're back with a bang after being out in the wilderness for a couple of years Tipperary are one of the big fallers the biggest faller this week um, I mean it, it, they drew at Waterford in week one which was a bad result and then they lost by eight points to Leitrim at the weekend Tipperary in a bad place they're a one man team at the moment Connor Sweeney scored 2-6 for them against Leitrim at the weekend if you took him out of the team they would almost get relegated from Division 4 that's how bad they are at the moment uh, it's just not looking good and uh, I think uh, there's a, I think the, the case now is that who's the, is it themselves or Waterford who are the worst team in, in Munster they will hopefully come back over the course of the next uh, few weeks and months and, and maybe a stronger championship from them but right now it's not looking good Leitrim are above them now at 27 uh, weren't overly flattered by the scoreline I think it's fair to say I mean they point win against Tipperary <laughs> like if that had been uh, a result that you would have been offered before the championship they would have bitten your hand off for it because of the fact that they had Cavan first week up so on paper they were due to be their t- uh, two toughest fixtures and they've come away from the first two games with two points on the board so a great start in Division 4 for Andy Moore and Wicklow are up 1-26 uh, Ushin McGrainer was one of the players who came off uh, the bench to, to play really really well he kicked a leveller he's been at an AFL combine in the not too distant past so uh, they drew at Wicklow or they drew at Fermanagh I should say who were just above them at 25 and the, the story there was really kind of a, a, a tale of two halves with a wind going in one direction. Fermanagh were 2-4 to two points up uh, at half time in that game. And then obviously, as I say, Wicklow came back in the second half. In a 24 then, 
Sligo, they grinded it out in week one, not so much in week two, they killed them. The McEntee master plan is potentially coming together to beat Carlo by 23 points. You have someone like Niall Murphy kicking big tallies for them at the moment. And then you've also got Pat Spillane Jr. Uh, coming off the bench to kick a point for Sligo in that game. Uh, Louth uh, at number 23. So what we have here was uh, team number 25 playing team number 26 in the power rankings. Louth against Longford. What happens? Well, of course, they draw because these are the most correct, most accurate power rankings of all time. They're now up to 23 and 22 right now, Louth and Longford respectively. Sam Mulroy with a big equaliser in the eighth minute of injury time. But there had only been five minutes of injury time initially announced for that. So a little bit of controversy. Uh, like Mulroy and Kieran Byrne, they're two half forwards there. They're running the show for Louth at the moment. And uh, that draw against Longford, a decent result. And that is where Longford are as well, just in front of them in at number 22. Leash are in at number 21, a non-mover after going down to Westmead by six points. Antrim, disappointing result after a great start uh, to the league for them. They lost to, to Limerick, uh, so Antrim are at 20. At home as well. At home, Limerick are in at 19, and uh, Limerick have made a habit so far of starting games really fast. They were 2-1 to no score up after 10 minutes at the weekend, so uh, they just managed to hold off a bit of a second-half drive from Antrim. So a four-point win for them after beating Longford in the opening week, Limerick one of the stories of the league so far. Down are a non-mover at number 18. They still have more Kilku players coming back. Six-point defeat to Galway okay. at the weekend. That must have been, you must have been like, well, I suppose they can't really fall any further, can they? No, no. Like, like I mean, if they got absolutely hockeyed by Galway, it could have been a bit of a different scenario. And are they the worst Division 2 team in your rankings? Um, I'm trying to think. I think they might be, yeah. Okay, well, that's fair enough. Um, so you make the relegation favourites at the moment? Yes. Yes, just uh, just well, behind Offaly. Uh, yeah, and I suppose the fact that they do have players to come back is just, different. No, I would actually, do you know what? I would actually make Offaly just edging it on being favourites to go down. But I have them ahead of them in the rankings because of what we've seen so far and them getting shipping a 12-point defeat within their own division. Um, so this could change. Go. Well, this could change. This could change, yeah. Look, I, I think Derry are all Ireland contenders, I have to say. I think that there's a good chance that Derry make a semi-final this year. Uh, if the draw goes their way in the qualifiers, hmm. I think there's a reasonable chance. I think um, Derry are where Armagh were last year, except with a better defensive structure than Armagh had last season. Yeah. And they'll have the back door. And they'll have the back door. We'll, we'll so, get to them in just a moment. But awfully, they did lose to them by, by 12 points this weekend. They're in at number 17. Cavan are, are up to 16 at this point. They were... Um, Nine points up against Wexford at half time at the weekend, and to be honest, they should have won by more. So they're they're winning, pulling up at the moment, Cavan. They're going to get promoted, and they're going to win Division Four. Cork are in at fifteen, holding their place just about at the moment. But I think getting a draw against Clare was actually a very good result for them at the weekend. They did score an absolute freak of a goal. Brian Hurley had a, a free, maybe about thirty meters out, possibly into the wind to level it up late on, and the ball dropped short. But the Clare player made a a shambles of it or the wind just caught it or something and it went into the back of the net but Clare managed to come back and, and get two late scores to, to level the game so they were level on seven occasions I think they're fairly close together at the moment Cork and Clare even though I'd have Clare ahead of them in the rankings there as you can see uh, Meath are falling slightly down to 14 they played down next that is an absolutely huge game for Meath uh, Andy McIntyre himself was sent off the weekend for 
Meath and uh, their scoring is a massive issue at the moment they went 47 minutes without a score from play at the weekend it was 45 minutes without a score from play in Salt Hill so arguably even worse but there are a number of mitigating factors they are missing players they had a few late Covid issues at the weekend as well as I say if it's defeated down then it's crisis time so I'm not pushing the crisis button on me just yet until they lose it down yeah okay fair enough Uh, Westmead up one to at number 13, as you can see there, good win for them against Leash at the weekend. They've really got a habit of beating at the moment. They hammered them in the championship last year. Their full forward line is, is what's doing the damage for Westmead at the moment. You've Luke Lachlan, who scored 1-1. John Heslin, who scored three points. And Alex Gardner, who scored three points. So they scored 2-11 of their total at the weekend. Clare non mover at 12 after drawing McCork. The Rossies there at number 11. Big win for them at the weekend, especially with a lot of their club players still unavailable to come into that Ross Common side. So they'll absolutely be promotion contenders. And then we get to a little bit of a flip here between number 10 and number 9. You've called Derry All-Ireland contenders and I'm not entirely disagreeing with that. This is not so much a reflection on Kildare. This is more a reflection of Derry and how well they've been going, pushing them up to ninth place and dropping Kildare down to 10. Kildare lost by five points to Donegal at the weekend. I mean, you've got... Jimmy influencing matches for Kildare big time at the moment. 1-4 for him at the weekend. Paddy Woodgate has been a good addition. Derek Herman, hopefully he'll be back from injury at some point this season. And that's an, a pretty potent inside line for them. But Derry, as you say, the talent that they have, the likes of Shane McGuigan and Connor Glass, obviously top quality. But you look at someone like Brendan Rogers, and he is potentially, and hopefully we'll see more of him over the course of this year, as in hopefully Derry will be on television a lot more. And like, is this guy potentially one of the best fullbacks in the country right now? He certainly has the capability of popping up with a score from full-back. And when you've got these massive gusts of wind, those long-rangers can be a real asset to a team. They beat Offaly by 12 points at the weekend and Derry are into the top 10. Yeah, I think it's routine for Derry now to do that stuff. The The doubts that teams have had or people have had about Derry, the conditioning, the and I don't mean just the, the um, S&C work, but the conditioning of the style of play has bedded in over a long enough period of time now. The management is aligned, it seems, with their most important players. Like, you you would be pretty confident about what's coming down the tracks for Derry. Yeah, 100%. And it's going to be a fascinating Ulster Championship. They're going to be right in the mix for promotion. You can only say they're going to be in the mix, though, because Division 2 is so competitive that there is still a way in which... They have a good league campaign and they finish third, for example. So it's going to be quite a battle. Who ahead? Well, Galway are Galway and Roscommon. Galway and Roscommon, I would say. And if Clare got the job done against Cork the weekend, again, that free goal, if that doesn't happen, Clare possibly win that game. You would have had them in that mix as well. They've constantly been nipping at the heels of the top two or three, finishing third and fourth in, in that division. So you've got to keep them in the mix there as well. But I would say it's going to be a three-horse race between Roscommon, Derry and Galway to get promotion back to Division 1. And going down is down <clears throat> and awfully okay potentially Meath we'll see ask me again after down if, like if, if down beat Meath Meath are in proper bother at that point like that's I, I know that's like you, you look at the, the couple of games that Meath have played so far Galway, Roscommon two of the toughest games to start but they still have Derry yet to play so if they lose it down that could possibly be four, four defeats on the board so um, it is worrying times, but I'm, I, I wouldn't be writing them off just yet. So yeah, down and off leads. If only there were three points for a win, this would definitely be a relegation six-pointer. Well, there you go. I, 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 there could be a case for that. Why don't we? Why don't we do the three points? Espe- like, uh, I mean, especially this time of year when there is two draws are unbeaten. Yeah, <laughs> two points is as good as a, a win and a loss. It's true. It's not. <laughs> it's we're trying to get teams to win. Why, why is the game so defensive? Well, because we incentivize drawing as much as we do. 
like especially this time of year when it could be like nine points apiece there is a real sense of playing for a draw time let's not go for it whatever we do because we get a full point we get half as much we get for winning yeah. why would we risk that yeah uh, we move into the top eight the first page of our power rankings Galway staying put at number eight uh, like, I mean, they're, they're, as I say, I think they're definitely going to get promoted again. They beat down by six points at the weekend. Paul Conroy was brilliant in the first 15 minutes of this game. Brilliant throughout. Like, he kicked one, two from midfield in the first couple of minutes. You'd, Damien Comer back. He came off the bench. So, uh, Galway at number eight. Monaghan, number seven, staying put there as well. Like, I mean, they'll probably regret a little bit about this performance against Mayo at the weekend. They lost by two points, but they were very wasteful in the second half. McManus wasn't starting, comes on. So, Monaghan, like, they're one of those teams who are going to possibly get up to five or four at some point this season. Can they break into the top three and do something special? I think recent form has shown that that, that, that has been their ceiling. So uh, that's where they're at at the moment. Dublin, then down to number six for the moment. If I had to predict it, though, this will be the lowest that the Dubs go this year. If, you, if, I'm, if I'm buying stock in the Dubs, I think I'm buying it now. I'm buying it at its lowest price. They might get down to seven. Okay, they were missing uh, John Fogarty's piece today. He says he's not writing their epitaph just yet. They no. were missing seven of the starters from the All Ireland semi final. And it's not the players who are retired or anything. I need to find the exact one there. Um, he's making the point that they were missing. Okay, almost half of the team that started last year's All Ireland semi final were missing. None of those seven came off the bench or retired. Uh, so. I don't know. So, so, so they're like properly unavailable at the moment and, and, but, and haven't played any football. But okay. And do they automatically all come back straight away at the level that they were excellent and as a result infl- able to influence games? Or are, are some of them, is it a mix where some of them are just being eased back in? Some of them are genuinely injured. Like, and also the age profile of a lot of them isn't amazing. So you don't automatically bounce back the way you did in your early 20s? I, I, I think so, but. At the same time, if you're asking whether or not they automatically come back into the starting team, they, they do. That's the situation that Dublin are in, that they will be starters. Yeah, OK, but that doesn't automatically mean that they're going no. to be way better than they are right now. I, I think there's a good chance they finish the season. In the, in the, well, here's the thing. If they, win, if they win Leinster, do they automatically get into your top four? Or Not necessarily, no, because there, it's not gonna, there will be a backdoor. But I would predict that they will get into an All-Ireland semi-final because chances are they will play a weaker team in an All-Ireland quarter-final. Well, so I think you I would think hope the the draw isn't. It, there's a there's a chance they play a weaker team, but there's also a chance that they play Derry, Armagh, Tyrone, hmm. Monaghan, Donegal in the Ireland quarter final, and that's the game I would say at the moment in Croker. Any of those teams would fancy their chances. Yeah, like I I would agree with that. King like, is dead. Long live the king. I think that this could be their position. Yeah, but if you ask me to put a pin in where they're going to finish, I would I would I would put my neck out and say it'll be a a semi-final and, and it was, it'll be against Kerry it'll be in Croke Park and that would be regardless of, of what happens over the next couple of weeks for Dublin that would be a, a huge occasion and I think that there will be that constant fear once you get to the championship and you see more of those players come back into the team the sort of PTSD about what they've done over the last couple of years and just seeing the likes of James McCarthy and 
Michael Fitzsimons and Johnny Cooper up against you. They may, who knows, they may come back to the level that absolutely that they were at a couple of years ago. And even if they're not, there is a sense that those are those guys. And I, I guess that can strike a bit of fear into the opposition team, especially when you've got championship crowds in Croke Park in the middle of the summer. So I, I'm not, the, the death knell isn't sounding yet for Dublin. This is very much reactive and it's very much reacting to the first couple of weeks of the league. And I think it's hard to make a case that they're anywhere above team number six after the first couple of weeks of the league. Where they're going to be in the summer, I think, is is a different proposition. A co- couple of different questions. Like, I mean, after the after the weekend, it's in that second half that I watched back, for example, in Dublin against Kerry. It, it was interesting to, to listen to Kevin McStay really laud uh, Evan Comerford. And there's no question about the the talents that he has. Like, that la- that late free that he got against the wind was, was sublime. But there was also a moment where he almost gives Kerry another goal in the second half. There were a couple of kickouts that go astray, and that was the same against Armad. The, the short kickout is kind of like a, a bit of a nervy thing. You, to, to get that pace on the ball when you're kicking it out low to your corner back is is a tough thing to master. And I'm sure that like he'll come good over the next little while, but in the here and the now, in, in 2022, when you're trying to get one last tune out of, maybe not one last tune, but one of the, the, the later tunes out of those players yet to come back, I come for it, I, like need, needs to, to, to tighten things up, I think, a little bit between now and the end of the season. The... the the way he's being lauded about by Max Day, the, the the reputation that he has, he's got to come good over the next little while. And yes, there have been great moments that he's shown already, but he is absolutely pivotal to, to Dublin winning the All-Ireland this year or, or trying to give themselves a chance to win the All-Ireland this year because I think the performances have been mixed. doesn't help when you're kicking into a wind and your backs are getting slaughtered. And, I mean, there's a couple of those backs who won't be playing in the championship, whereas Comerford will be. So there's a different standard there. But that's just one of the things that I think will be very, very interesting. And um, I do think Dublin are better than Team 6 when we get to the championship. But as of now... Team 6? Team 6, they're out of the championship. Um, in at number 5, up a spot is uh, Donegal. Now, of course, Michael Murphy and Jason McGee both got injured at the weekend. Murphy was gone in the 21st minute. McGee was gone early in the second half so to beat Kildare to beat another Division 1 team without Michael Murphy for the majority of the game is a pretty good result like Donegal have been constantly battered as the underachievers in recent years part of that is the fact that they play in Ulster but part of that is also based on the fact that they have excellent players and someone like Michael Langan is just a glorious footballer you'd love to see more from him scored four points at the weekend and after a draw with Mayo on week one Donegal are in a pretty good place and a very good start for them in uh, 2022 in Division 1. Uh, in at number 4 then, I've dropped Tyrone down from the, from the top. Um, big, these, a big drop. It is a big drop. Like These are early season rankings though. Precipitous drop. Are they the biggest dropper? In, no, Tipperary are. Okay, but in like in the in this area of what the Why did Dublin go from park. 3 to 6? From 5 to 6. 5 to 6. Yeah, Tyrone have gone from the top down to 4. Because of the fact that these are early season rankings, they are necessarily volatile. So, I mean... This is a horse race. Everybody's jockeying for position. That's what's happening. They lost half their games of the weekend uh, of the season so far. So, uh, And they haven't won a game yet. So, so that, that's the reason why they're down to four. But like, I still think there were enough impressive signs in the first week in particular to suggest that Throne, Throne will be fine eventually. And I mean in the context of this league, that they may even be a, a contender. But Armagh blew them away in that first half. And uh, the six-point win at the end kind of reflects well on Tyrone and maybe kind of speaks to uh, their performance in the second half, actually. And Armagh are in there then at uh, number three. I mean, they've uh, beaten the, the All-Ireland Champions in the last seven years in the first two weeks. Five-point win against Dublin, six-point win against Tyrone to bring them up to, to number three. And they have been one of the stories of the National League so far. Mayo then are up into number two. 
I think a win in Monaghan in the National League is an excellent result. You've got the all reliables performing outstandingly well at the back. Paddy Durkin, Lee Keegan, Paul Jogohora, uh, some of their standout performers at the weekend. Like I think the case for Mayo is that they flipped the cliche on its head where I think in their case um, defence has won them games but they've realised that attack wins you championships and their attack let them down in the final last year and of course that is the massive injury that they suffered last week with Tommy Conroy we don't know like, I'm not sure if you've seen anything about Killian O'Connor we don't know when he's going to come back and maybe they realise that they've just got to wrap him up and just hope that, that, that he performs his best over the course of the championship but like they've got a, a couple of performers who are now filling that void. Like the goal from Ryan O'Donoghue at the weekend was was absolutely class. They, they do have other forwards, even even allowing for Conroy's injury, who are really really good players. It's just the, the breadth of attack that you need to win a championship yeah. might be the thing that gets them. I think if you're Mayo, you're feeling pretty good about whatever happens in the Connacht Championship. If you if you get knocked out, the extra games through the back door will actually be grand for this team because the age profile is fine. You can, you yeah. can use uh, Lee Keegan in and out and we've seen them get animated in the past by the back door. Or if you go straight through the front, it's also perfect because you can plot your course. I, like, I think that um, if they were to suffer a setback, they have the personnel at the moment to go deep, deep, deep into the championship. Mm. Uh, I've kept the order on these teams, which means that Kerry goes up to number one. So Kerry, we're ahead, we're in at number two, and because I've dropped thrown off top spot, Kerry going at number one. Now, in fairness, part of that is by beating Dublin by seven points. In fairness, like it, it's it, Dublin in, in at number six, getting beaten by seven points. Should that have the credit that I'm giving Kerry? Well, the for, for the burst of one nine that they scored yeah, was 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 pretty terrifying and. I think on the evidence of that first half, they're certainly the best team in the country. An argument could be made on the evidence of the 70 minutes, are they the best uh, team in the country? Or was it just a natural taking the foot off the gas? Now, Jack O'Connor was pretty annoyed. Like It's pretty obvious that he was annoyed with the second half performance at Kildare. Would he have allowed such a thing to happen two weeks in a row? Like, what's the halftime team talk? I would suggest that it is. Don't let what happened in Newbridge happen again. But it did kind of happen again, like scoring one point in the second half. Granted, the conditions were appalling to be playing into. Uh, what was probably more interesting from what he said, though, was that he was annoyed with how Kerry played and the style of play in the second half in Newbridge. The short passing, the thing that we were very critical of yeah. on the show last week. They diagnosed it. Yeah, he was like, this is not how I want the team to play. So that is that is very interesting that he is open about the fact that he wants this to be a direct team. He wants this to be a kick-passing team. And that is how this team has to play. It might eventually trip them up in the end and they very good chance that they'll get caught at some point when it matters most later on this year. But as of now, they're playing the best football in the division. Kerry, the best team in the country. It's official according to this week's power ranking. Something strange must have happened in the pub in the aftermath where I have no doubt everyone's saying, look, look, just don't make them number one. Don't whatever you do. And he's done it anyway. He doesn't care what the Kerry Mafia are telling him to do. No he's mafia. his own man. That's this week's power rankings. I absolutely adore them lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. Right, we're going to take a quick break. We're back talking rugby with Matt Williams. OTB AM. Right, a brilliant competition for you this morning. Aer Lingus, the official airline sponsor of the Irish rugby team, bringing home advantage to wherever the team plays. And to celebrate, we have an amazing prize of a pair of match tickets, flight and two nights accommodation to be won for this weekend's Six Nations clash between France and Ireland, as well as a signed jersey. To get your name into the draw for this great prize, just tell us who our mystery voice is. Props are a different animal. They've, they're like wrestlers or boxers of a fighting weight. To enter, you can WhatsApp the answer to 0879180180. You can tweet us at Off the Ball or you can comment on our YouTube channel. And each daily winner will win an Ireland jersey and will go into the draw on Thursday for the grand prize. It is 12 minutes past eight this morning. I'm delighted to say Matt Williams is with us. Matt, good morning to you. Morning, Jim. Morning, morning Alan. 
Uh, we, we had a, a slightly off-piste conversation a little bit earlier on about French cuisine. I think it's vastly overrated. You're a man who's cultivated a life in France. Is the French food as good as everybody bangs on about? Oh, mate, it, not, a, not even anywhere close to how good it really is. It's absolutely brilliant. I, I actually love cuisine de campagne, which is, is the food of the country. You know, so you, you, got, you got all the little tiny little cuisine nouveau, which everyone raves about. It is nice. But when you get the, the beautiful food that the country people of the south of France or in the, anywhere in the north of Midlands, it's it's uh, it's something very very special. No, it's it's jerk. Come over here. I'll, I'll show you around. <laughs> You're talking meats it's, and it's cheeses great. and pates and that kind of stuff, is it? It's a country with 250 uh, <laughs> unique uh, cheeses. So, as the Gaul said, how do you govern a country that has 250 cheeses? But <laughs> it, it, it is it is an incredible uh, uh, it, it, place. Because the food and the wine are just interlinked with the people, and you know you're getting twenty and nineteen year olds talking with great passion about wine and food. You know that doesn't happen in other places. It's just it's just so linked to part of their life. And and then look, you forget also it's an agricultural country where I am in the south, right across the Pyrenees, the rugby heartland. It's it's an agricultural country. Yeah, okay, you're sucking me back in there. We we didn't talk about the wine in fairness. We kind of left that bit out. We were just trying to find a way to provoke a, a French response. <laughs> That's the starting point, mate. Well, it should have been. Start. start at the one and work your way back. I guess our, our, our conversation came off the back of like um, this French team, so good, and uh, yet it's been so such a long time since they were uh, title winners. And that what is that? What is the flakiness within them over the last period of time that has prevented them from reaching the, the best team in Europe, which they really should be vying for year in, year out? I think, Jay, you've got to you've got to put a line in the sand, and you say uh, uh, before Galtier and after Galtier, and with the national team, and then before that, you've got to say their president Bernard Laporte, who is a hugely controversial figure, before him and after him. So when Laporte came in, they won the rights to the World Cup or to host the World Cup in 2023. They then did everything right because not only did they win the rights to the World Cup, they actually then said. Who are the guys that are going to be playing in that World Cup? How old are they now? And they are between 16 and, and probably 20, but let's say 16, 18, 19 years old. And they really put a lot of resources into talent identification, coaching, education and, and uh, conditioning into those age groups. And they brought them through and they won under 20 tournaments, I think two years in a row, and they'll run up in another one. Then we had COVID, obviously. So they've produced three or four years of really high-quality young players Four years ago, let's say, those guys—excuse <clears throat> me—those guys are now maturing and coming and in this national side. And and obviously, uh, Dupont and Entomac are the greatest examples of that. Probably Aldrin as well is part of that. But you, it's right across the team in the front rowers and the second rowers. They're all coming through. Saw Wocky play there uh, in the second row against Italy the other day. Another example of that. Then, okay, so then they did, that's the players and that's Laporte. And then Laporte also got the clubs on site. So before Laporte, you know, we rest, we look at Johnny Sexton. Johnny's played uh, a very few amount of minutes this year and playing for, for uh, Ireland because everyone, everything in Ireland is geared towards the national team. And that's correct. That's, that's, I'm not in any way criticizing. That's the way it sh- must be. And it is in New Zealand and it is to a lesser degree in Australia, South Africa and so on. But in France, the clubs ruled it. The clubs ran the show and the national team was very much running uh, to the boot of a different drum. And that's really why the last 10 years 
they haven't played well because they, they don't care. They just they, they weren't fit enough for international rugby because they were constantly playing club rugby. They played club rugby the week before. They played club, club rugby on the weekend off. <clears throat> and the national team was just left out there somewhere. Galtier has then come in. He's changed all that. Like the players are rested. They're conditioned, <clears throat> excuse me, conditioned correctly. And they've got this really talented generation and he's putting them together. They have played magnificent rugby, but they're a young team up until this year and they've lost games. The, the, the victory over New Zealand was a watershed moment for that team. That's the time that, that this team really started to believe in itself. Now it's rugby, and and we can't predict that they'll go through and win a Grand Slam. I don't, I don't even know if they're going to win on Saturday. But this is a very good team that is capable of winning a championship, and it's either this year or soon. And I think this Saturday will tell us if it's this year or the, or soon. In a weird way, um, the the problem with the clubs, right, is it, it had seemed intractable from the outside, but the the way you describe going after those 16 to 19 year olds and ploughing the resources into the talent identification cleaving them in many ways to the national side at that level meant that those players maybe in some cases their first love or their their first priority was also international at that point it's like we're going to make you successful at this point we're going to we're going to invest in you because we believe you are the future for the world cup it wasn't that the club got all the credit for developing them it was it was more symbiotic. The relationship was more deep and more entrenched earlier in those players' careers in a way that maybe it hadn't been in the past. I, I think that's a really astute observation, Jude, because um, it was also their focus on winning the World Under-20 Championship. So at a very young age, they were taught to win for France. Um, and and I, I believe some of that to a much lesser degree at the under-18 level where they, they still play some some form of uh, or international uh, or cross-border uh, rugby. So even from very young ages, this generation realised that winning in the French jersey was a super high priority in their life. And then when they go to club, they were also educated on um, the conditioning. Like it, 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 the top 14 is the most ridiculous rugby championship in the world it's got huge amounts of money, but your first game is in late August. And if you win it, like Toulouse did last year, your last game is in the first week of June. So you're, you've got an 11-month-of-the-year playing program, <clears throat> excuse me, in this really heavily contact. I mean, it's, French rugby is just is so physical and, and it burns people out. You can't train at the intensity you need to train at for internet, conditioning for international level. So, so it went, if you're just playing club rugby in France every week, you're just at this this level where you've got to survive. You can't train hard. You've got to just get recover and get ready for the next game. What Galtier has done is is take them out of that system for periods of time, and the clubs hate it, but it's the right thing to do: rest them and condition them. And this is sort of changed. But the, and the players understand this now. Now they get a little bit torn, but. They, the deal with the French Federation is also saying to the clubs, you have to reduce your amount of foreign players or you'll get fined. They have to be what they call GIF, uh, J-I-F, which basically means you, you, you are junior that came through the, the Federation of France. In other words, you came through the academies. And they, they're saying each week you've got to have, each year, sorry, they put a, a higher level of the number of locally produced players that you have to have on the field and reducing the overseas players, which, again, is a very, very good thing for France. You know, you saw clubs like Toulon that 
that are, are now last in the pro, uh, top 14 didn't put an anywhere near enough effort into their academies and they're coming last in the top 14. Clubs like Toulouse have put a huge amount of effort into their academies are, are at the top of the game. So these players and the clubs are being educated in a much better way by the French Federation. You then put in that Galtier puts around his national side a, a, a crop of excellent coaches. That was not the French way. The French way was one or two coaches and we'll just run it. He has specialists and, and they are uh, really good top quality coaches, and including foreigners like Sean Edwards. The players come out of a French camp and go, wow, that was good. In the old days before Galtier, they'd come out of a French camp and go, well, they were a bunch of Muppets. Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't really well run. So they didn't have belief in the system. This group believe in the system. They believe in Galtier. They believe in, in the coaches, the specialist coaches they have. And the other part is they believe in each other. And, and, and that's, you know, the other, whether they win or not, this championship, to me, it's irrelevant. Um, it, it's the fact that we have them back as a real player on the international stage because they play such gorgeous rugby and they come up the mountain a different way than the English-speaking world comes up the mountain. They play a different way, they think a different way and they go about it a different way. And when they do it with great excellence, like, like Galtier is doing, it is wonderful. We talked about the French wine. It's the same thing, mate. It's just different. doesn't mean it's wrong. It's different. French food is different, but it's beautiful. And, and it's uplifting for us all if we can share it. And the rugby is exactly the same. It, what's interesting then is that this is a, a relatively recent development, Matt. So a lot of the players that are expected to maybe win this year's championship would have come through in spite of maybe some dysfunction in the French rugby mm-hmm. environment. So this thing is only going to get better and better from a French rugby perspective, I presume. This group's got two World Cups, and uh, uh, you're, you're dead right. They obviously have targeted 2023 um, for their for hosting their World Cup and to win it, and they want to emulate what the footballers did in '99. There's zero doubt that that you know I think that's even up on a wall um, somewhere in, in their training centre up in uh, Makosi in uh, in Paris. But you know, like Dupont is going to be around, and Antomac and Aldrit and almost all that team uh, are going to be around to to the next World Cup, including Gail Ficou, who was one of the oldest, Gail's 27. Now, he could very easily play at at the following World Cup in 2027 when he's 32. So this is a really amazing group. And and yesterday, Galtier brought in 15 more players. So there's 42 people in um, players in camp at the moment. And you look through the quality of the squad, and you look through the depth charts that he's producing. In other words, how many players have you got in each position? So in the um, let's take hookers, for for example. He's got three real high-quality hookers. Uh, and Camille Shad, the, the uh, uh, Racing 92 hooker, who has got a physique like a, something carved out of marble, like you just can't believe the neck and traps this man has. And he's a quality player. He's been injured. He's out of that. So, but they've still got three replacements. And that's, again, another thing that Galtier is doing. He's cultivating depth within this group. Uh, they're going to be a force going forward for the next two World Cup cycles. And let's remember, they have not t- dismantled the, the um, production line that they set up at the 16s and 18s level for their 20s. So this Friday night, Ireland under-20s will play France under-20s in Marseille. And I, I only saw highlights, and it was against Italy, but 
the Italian under-20 side has been playing exceptionally well over the last few years. And I mean exceptionally well. They've, they've come within whiskers of beating France, England. They've, they've beaten Wales and things like this. They're, you know, they're, they're not, it's not like the open side where there's 50 points between them. The, the Italian side has been good. And the French under-20s really put in a big shift and uh, won by 40-odd points. So we'll know a little bit more about this group after they play Ireland on Friday night because Ireland uh, under-20s had a wonderful win against Wales. So it is a long-term production and it's bringing France back uh, to, to where they believe they should be. And they, they rightfully they should be. And both Bernard Laporte and Galtier and their, their, uh, the political battles that had to be won deserve a lot of credit because they had to win the politics before they could win the rugby. And they're, they're winning both. It's uh, concerning for the rest of us that uh, this is happening. From an Ireland perspective then, Matt, if you were part of the French coaching ticket, if you were Sean Edwards, what's keeping you awake this week about what you've seen from Ireland from really towards the end of last year's Six Nations all the way through to last weekend? Oh, plenty, plenty, plenty keeping, keeping uh, Sean Edwards awake. The, the ability, and number one, is the ability of the Irish forwards to pass the ball either to inside, outside or behind to Sexton or Bundiaki um, when they're running at full pace and very close to the line. We call that game line theory. You take the ball to the game line, to the defence, and then play, which puts your skills under great pressure. Most forwards around the world do not have those skills. And the extraordinary thing about what Ireland are doing is their forwards like um, uh, the, the, the two Tigers, uh, uh, Tigburn, uh, and and um, Furlong. Furlong, sorry, I've got a mental block there. Furlong. And Furlong passed a couple of staggering balls on Saturday. Like he just, like he couldn't believe the passing that man was doing at the game line as they're being tackled. And then the other part that gets keeping Sean awake is if they don't pass and just run themselves, so if Furlong just runs himself, that man is a bulldozer. You know, so is Byrne. But then Byrne runs like that and he put, he put Josh Van der Fleer through the gap. Uh, Furlong runs at pace. He's got people either side and he pops this incredible pass out to Sexton. And Sexton moves the ball wide and they come back and that's, that sets up Bundiaki's try. So they, Ireland's attack is a handful. And then when you get to the behind those players, you've got Sexton and Bundiaki and, and now Mac Hansen playing as second distributors. And Bundiaki... Uh, ball, the improvement of his ball skills has just been extraordinary. Like he, some of those passes he would do, he was delivering on Saturday. He couldn't have done those two years ago. There's no way well, he didn't do them two years ago. So the, the skill improvement in players like Burn and Bundiaki has been extraordinary. And then the other part is we talk about France. This team believes in the system they're playing. This Irish team, they believe in the philosophy that's been put to them by Andy Farrell. The great change, you know, the great... I mean, this wasn't a small change. This was a radical change from how they were playing in last year's Six Nations. You go back and look, and it's, it's, it's completely unrecognisable. It's new, it's vibrant, it's brilliant, and Andy Farrell and his coaching team deserve great credit, and the players deserve great credit. You've been on this, Matt. You've, you've been on this, that we should be asking more of ourselves as a race, that the Irish people are creative. And, you know, I remember sitting here being inspired, listening to you going, we should be demanding more of ourselves. We're capable of doing more. And when you ask the players to do more, they will respond to it. And you can see it in, in all of the players. Like Peter Romani said, even after, and this is, keeps getting quoted, even after a month where he wasn't starting that it was the most enjoyable month he'd ever spent in Ireland camp. You're not getting through to somebody at that stage of his career 
keeping him on the bench and him coming out and eulogising about it unless something special is happening and that seems to be they're being asked and trusted to do more and more and more you, you, you can't deny people their character right so if, if, if you, you have to when you come into a, a team to, to, to maximise a talent of any individual in, in your organisation in a business in sport you've got to look at the personalities what's the character of the people and bring it out you know, and that multiplies things. So national teams in rugby around the world that play with the spirit of their national character, something happens in them. Now, I can't tell you why. I can't, I can't put this down a piece of paper. If I could, I'd make a fortune. But I see it. And I've been in Ireland for, for almost 23 years now, and I've, the national team has not played with the character of the Irish people. You know, my grandparents were I was brought up in an Irish house. I know the character of people. It's 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 upbeat. It's positive. It's creative. There's humour. There's joy. You know, and there's resilience. There's mental toughness. There, there there's support. There's all these things that that are part of the Irish character. But the national team we never showed it because people didn't believe we had the skills. And I used to just I I've been banging on about this for years. I'd say that's crap because you're not asking them to show their skills. You know, like you know, you don't hire Leonardo da Vinci and say go and paint the back fence. You do. You hire Leonardo da Vinci to paint something to create something magnificent. So what finally has happened, at long, long last, has happened. We're saying to the Irish national team, get out there and show us what you can do. We're going to give you a loose structure around it. So every time Furlong takes the ball to the line, he's got a forward inside him, a forward outside him, and he's got someone out the back, be it Johnny Sexton or. Gary Ringrose or Bundiaki, he's got someone running out the back. And they're saying, right, Tyke, take it to the line and you make a decision. You do what you think's right. You got Here's your options. Run yourself past left, right or out the back. There are four options. Choose one. Off you go, Spider. And you know what happens? He goes to the line and he's making sensational decisions. Tyke Boone, they say, all of a sudden he looks at me and goes, oh, give me a bit of that. I'll take the ball to the line and I'll have, I'll have Josh Vanderfleer on one side. I'll have uh, maybe Jack Conan on the other. Uh, probably more likely Kalen Doris, and I'll have, again, my outlet out the back. So he takes the line. What does he decide to do? He sees a hole, passes it to Josh Vanderfleer, goes straight through the hole. Two phases later, uh, Conway scores in the corner. That is what we should have been doing for 20 years. Now, we haven't done it, so, okay, that you can't get the pass. What have we got in the present? Because of the way we're playing, not because of the personnel, because of the way we're playing with the personnel, we're going to Paris, and we've got a real, Ireland's got a real shot a red-hot shot at winning in Paris. You had to ask me that in June, I'd say, mate, you're going you're gonna to come back with the tails between your legs. Because of the way they're playing, the way they changed in November and what they showed us last week, they got a red-hot chance in Paris. When you mentioned there a moment ago, Matt, about the fact that Bundiaki is passing balls that he perhaps wasn't doing a couple of years ago, that he wasn't maybe able to do a couple of years ago, is that just an attitude shift or, or is it really skill development that you've seen over the last couple of years? It's skill development. And Andy Friend, um, who I know as a coach very well, Andy started with me at the Waratahs a long, long time ago. He, he, he is uh, a coach that believes in skill development, of, of the development of the whole person, but of skills. He's a coach that uh, is brought up in the running game uh, and, and the creative game. And he would have been pushing all his players uh, to develop their skills, but you can see Bundiaki has has really um, benefited from that because 
every national team benefits from what's done below them. So it's it's impossible in the time frame for Andy Farrell or Mike Cat to develop skills. That is, you just don't have time. They can they can maintain them and enhance them, but the development of skills is done at every team across the world at the level below. So uh, if you're seeing Anton Dupont, he's developed those skills at the at the 18s, the 20s, and at Toulouse, and he brings them to the national side. So th- there's no no difference with that. The same with Todd Byrne uh, uh, developing his passing skills. What we what I would add to that uh, is that these guys would go to the national camp and they'd see Henshaw throwing those balls and and the other players throwing those balls and going, if I don't develop that pass and get that pass right, I'm not going to get in this squad. So the fact that there is this wonderful internal competition within the group, you know, people like you know Hume might get popped out as Henshaw comes back. He's a he's a quality player. Gavin Coombs can't get in the side. He's a high high quality player that I really rate. So to get in this side, they're looking around saying, "Well, I've got to I've got to develop this passing. I've got to develop this running. I've got to know this system to be there fast and in and get into into position fast." Which is another thing this Irish team are doing brilliantly. They're getting into position in attack, in lightning speed. So all of those factors come into play. But yes, the the talent. I'm sorry, the skills are developed by, by the provinces. And that's why, as I've said on the on your program, I've written in the Irish Times, I'm saying on TV, a great national philosophy starts at the schools, goes to the provinces and the clubs, and then finishes the national team. It doesn't go the other way. It doesn't start at the national team and come down. That doesn't work. We tried that for 25 years. It doesn't work. It's got to come from the ground up, as the saying goes, and that's what's happening. So... It sounds like you're giving us a pretty good chance. What's going to happen? Oh, wow. Red hot chance. Red, red hot chance. But that's not going to be easy. Like this is, that French side will be much better for the run. Uh, it, it was torrential rain in the first half. It, it stopped, but it's still obviously a slippery ball. But they still, they still compiled 45 points. And they were very, French side were very inaccurate. Now, here's the other interesting part about this. Ireland have to take this philosophy on the road for the first time. Now, they're going to uh, Stade de France, which is a magnificent stadium. You saw they're giving out all the all the tricolours, the national these, uh, national flags of France are going to be out. There's going to be 65,000 flags flying. It is going to be raucous and it's going to be dry. I checked the weather forecast. Now, what does that mean for, for us as supporters? This is You talked about the joys of, of French cuisine. Here is going to be some great joys of watching one of the best games, what I think could be one of the best games of rugby we've seen in years. Two super attacking sides filled with great individuals that can turn a game and there's a lot up for stakes. There is a grand slam. Someone come Saturday night is going to not be able to win a grand slam and the other one is going to be on track for a grand slam. So there's, there is, as we say in Australia, there's sheep stations on this. This is valuable. And it's just going to be a ding-dong battle. It's going to be two heavyweights going toe-to-toe. The outcome, I really don't know, Jim. I really don't, don't know. But that that is healthy. Yes. As I said in June, we didn't have a chance. We we're not we're not going in here. You know, oh, there's always got a chance. They can, Ireland can win this game. Ireland can definitely win this game. Will they? It's, they're going to have to execute. They're going to have to play brilliantly, and they're going to have to defend brilliantly. And that's my worry: is what we're doing on the wings. So we're, our defence through the way we're tackling, the way we're working for each other, and everyone, everyone, the, the the technique and the system from the wings in is brilliant. 
but we're still what we call jamming. That means the winger will look up, and if I'm the right winger and I see uh, attack, I run infield to try and cut that attack off. And we saw James Lowe do it last year and, and France Burnus against Wales. We still did it. We saw Conway come in and they got around us and Mac Hansen did an amazing cover tackle from the far wing. That's what I'm worried about because France scored all their tries pretty much except one right on the last five centimetres of, of terrain at Stade de France. That's where we've got a weakness. Right. The glorious uncertainty of sport. Matt, great stuff. Thanks a million. Pleasure, guys. Matt Williams there. Great as ever, giving us his thoughts ahead of the weekend at uh, 8.37. Uh, fact Top 14 is crazy, says Sashin. 11-month programme of French rugby is madness. The French team is another six, seven years together. OTB is my second favourite sports media outlet. Up the Irish. Who's first, Sashin? Come on, tell us. Can't, can't leave us hanging. Where's uh, online? Connor says, Matt is the best. That was very enjoyable, it was. Why don't Owen and Westmead get a room? Asks John. I've often asked myself that question. Uh, every Friday it happens here uh, when uh, Owen and Adrian Barry, who is Westmead, like he is the, um, you know, uh, he's the NFT in human form of Westmead. If there was an NFT in human form, it would be him. It would be, actually. We should get, um, we should get an Adrian Barry NFT. That would be good. Uh, we looked at the price of hotels in France next year for the World Cup and by God, they're going to ride us. It'll be beans on toast after we pay for it, says John. Get the camper van now, I say. That's a much better idea, yeah. And chicken coffee is not just chicken on the bone. Ooh la la, says uh, Fergus. <laughs> I stand corrected. Uh, I had to Google the difference. of Like, it's slow cooked. It's basically in fat. You cook it in fat. I mean, it's, you know, it's grand. Crispy, it's crispy skinned chicken. I mean, like, you know, is most chicken not supposed to be crispy skinned? Well done. In the 1400s, you invented this thing. Congratulations. The 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 uh, the cooking of the campagne that Matt talked about that that got the that well, I was literally garlic salivating. Juices. Yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, okay. You're talking about um, meats and cheeses, pates, good quality pates, mm-hmm. in like tiny little the the bread from the fresh boulangere. That's the good stuff. Yeah. The high-flown, highfalutin, self-regarding bollocks that you get in Paris. No thanks. Interesting. It's John Duggan. For rugby. Good morning to you. Ger and Owen, how are we doing? How are you? Not bad. Yourselves? Do you like French cuisine? Um, parts of it. There's a place called Berthillion on the Ile de France uh, in Paris, which does the most incredible ice creams. I remember having a great praline ice cream there once. I like the crepes and uh, I do like the bread. And but I'm not really a wine man. I, I can't really understand wine or talk about it with any kind of certainty. So well, if you like it, you like it. Um, I'm more of a Rioja man. So France is not really a great place for bars. Uh, I found when I've been in Paris a few. Well, unless you want to like stand up, have a coffee, and a cassis, and walk away. <laughs> That's. Um, but or, I, or if you want to places, John. Or if you want to shit in a hole in the floor, they still have those toilets everywhere. I love the. Uh, Nature of Paris is a fantastic city and uh, I've stayed around Montmartre quite a bit and just love just love people watching and walking around the place. It's a fantastic place. So uh, I'd love to be there at the weekend, but we're not. Uh, it's 8.40am. A reminder, OTBIM brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with a new and improved razors. What's going on? Well, look, if you ask me now in February 2022, are we going to be hosting Euro 2028? I'd say yes. 
Um, like obviously this is a consolation prize for England not getting the World Cup in 2030 because politically it seems that Spain and Portugal are favoured by UEFA to go up against Argentina and Uruguay. So yesterday it was revealed that the FAI are a big part of this, that the Viva Stadium and Croke Park will be the two stadiums. And it's interesting that hilariously that Caseman Park now will suddenly possibly get an acceleration in terms of its redevelopment because it has not hosted a game since 2013 to possibly be the stadium in Northern Ireland because Windsor Park is not fit for purpose to host these matches. And as far as Jonathan Hill, the FAI CEO, is concerned, this is a no-brainer. One of the, um, the core tenets of our strategy moving forward and the vision is to um, unite uh, the country in relation to uh, using football. And I can't think of anything more inspirational uh, than the possibility of hosting the third largest event in the world, sporting event in the world. A united Ireland brought together by football. That's what I heard when I heard that. I'm not lying. I was like, oh, you're going to unite. The FAI's mission is, do the IFA know about the United, uniting the country bit? Because like that, when we, when we talk about uniting the country, what do we mean? What, what does everybody mean when they talk about it in, Irish, in an Irish context? Come on, I'm not just me, is it? Uh, oh, uh, sorry. I don't know if Jonathan Hill. I don't know if Jonathan. I don't know if Jonathan Hill meant that. I don't think he meant that at all. So I think he did not mean that at all. But that's what it means in Ireland. Yeah. He also what does a united? What does uniting the country mean here? Yeah. No partition. Exactly. So and maybe it should look. Maybe maybe by 2028 we will. There won't be a joint bid between Ireland and the North. Maybe and it'll be our statement, our stadium encasement that we're paying for. Maybe he's. Uh, Maybe he's referring to United Country under a different sort of ruler. He did refer to the other four uh, UK FAs, didn't he, in that piece yesterday? Maybe, maybe United Country was... That was a pre-recorded piece too. You think that maybe they would... Hey, look, we just do it one more time. It's going to do that one more time. Maybe don't talk about uniting the country because that has a, a cultural reference. And also, the other UK... I know what you mean. We know what you mean. But like, no. You're going to say, with the, with the other four... Just say the other four. They don't have to be from a place. And away we go. Yeah. I suppose these are the nuances you pick up. Like, the fact that he doesn't live here keeps coming up. Does it matter? It, maybe it does. Maybe if you're going to be the, the leader of grassroots football, you need to, like, be at grassroots football midweek training sessions. To, maybe, maybe you need to go and see the fact that there's a container that the kids are, are changing in. And across the road the GEA facilities are like gleaming lights. Maybe you need to actually be here to see that. I don't know, John. Yeah. I'm not, I, I don't think that it matters to the point where he can't do the job, but I do think at some point, if you're... Because uh, the, the FAI is a, is a governing body, but it's a community body. And if you're representing a community, you kind of need to understand the community. It is odd. I'd have to say maybe this is, it's in pl- planned that he does with obviously COVID now coming to an end. You'd have to think the worst of it. Uh, like all of these things, like in 2028, where's the money? Where's the, this is all about money. I saw the strategic vision, the third tier of League of Ireland, obviously 750 women's clubs is the ambition that would be qualifying for major tournaments in both men's and women's uh, soccer, Republic of Ireland teams. Obviously, these are always ambitions, but it's all about money. And ultimately, the state runs the show. But there should be a payback. There should be a payback. If, if Ireland are hosting European Championship games and it's worth millions to the exchequer, there should be some kind of redistribution of wealth from the state to the FAI, but that's six years away. And obviously there's a degree of cynicism and grumbling and, oh, here's a new shiny vanity project. I think you can have both, but unfortunately, given the FAI is part of state of finance, um, 
they just have to keep on making representations to the government because you can't build an industry here and without government support. Well, uh, look, I think in theory you can have both too. It's just Neil Reardon made the point on the show that the the FAI is still quite a small organisation. It's undergone restructures. It's uh, you know they've had pay cuts, they've had uh, redundancies, and so there's a limited brain space and capacity to chase something like a, in that case it was the World Cup right and that, that was complete pie in the sky nonsense this is less pie in the sky nonsense there's not going to be a new stadium and so but you will definitely have people seconded from the day job to work on this project and the, the trade-off has to be there there has to be we need to see what the trade-off is and uh, I just remain unconvinced about the long-term legacy of hosting events beyond it's a great day out and if everybody says it's a great day out, and also we might not we might not be there because I would doubt that they're going to be allowing five teams in, whether it's a twenty four or a thirty two team tournament. Yeah, so it could would, be it could be Poland versus Sweden again. You, you would assume that like we're in the top thirty two teams. You would hope. Sorry, yeah. A crack of the net is the front of the Daily Star. The score in twenties bid for eighty million euro twenty twenty eight party as Paddy's day is back. As Paddy's day back. What's that? Oh, we're Paddy's. Patrick's Day. No, no, Paddy's Day. We're the Paddies, and we're getting our day back. No, I think I think it's two different stories. I think they're referring to the bid and they're referring to the return. You're right. You're right. Um, we got Man United in action against Burnley tonight in the Premier League 8 o'clock start at Turf Moor. Newcastle against Everton. Frank Lampard's first game in charge of Premier League. Uh, we also have West Ham against Watford. So really important games for the teams at the bottom. Uh, Keith Earls and. Rob Herring out of the game against France at the weekend. Earl's back with Munster with a hamstring. Um, and Herring's got a calf problem. So Dave Heffernan of Connacht coming into the squad. Um, we saw that Ronan Sheen, I don't know if you've discussed it in the show as well, earlier on, lads, but the damn manager going on Twitter following the win over Carlo in the Allianz Hurling League and saying that extremely disappointing to come into the dressing room to hear my players being called prods and Brits and other things that he said in that. So It's mad. This is like, it's, this, it's the dumbest people who have recourse to this and they're dead right to call it out and keep talking about it because it, it keeps happening it's been happening for years we've seen other teams come off and it's always northern club teams or northern county teams and in fairness to him he said look we had to win this game for me to be able to have this conversation because otherwise it would have sounded like sour grapes but actually it's not sour grapes it's just the truth I think um, he's definitely putting his hands up as a, a leader in the GA community and I'm certainly listening to stuff whenever he speaks at the moment definitely cultural issues in the GA about behaviour and like I even saw a video the other day from our man Tyrone and the almost enjoyment of aspects of the crowd about the schmazel and the handbags and the headlocks and the messing. Um, it's hmm, a bit loose for me. Maybe I'm just being a bit too, I don't know, pious. But. I look, I, I mean, uh, if it's a fair fight and people are two fighting, people fighting each other, it's grim and it's not really what the whole point of it is. But the, the sucker punch headlock thing like where you wrestle somebody's neck See, I, I don't know doesn't make any sense to me have you seen the Kurtzuma stuff yeah, that is that's pretty vile he should be sacked right he's, uh, he's apologised this morning since of course he's apologised yeah, yeah too late sorry mate it's, sorry uh, mate it's, it's, I don't believe in cancer culture but my, that might be an exception because that was I think he can get sacked for like for something like this right like he's con- he's, he's confirmed it's him yeah, mm. like, and uh, what what is your character? So, if if people the uh, there's a video which I hadn't seen the video and I didn't realize it was on the front of the papers today. Uh, Prem stars vile attack on cat. West Ham Zuma boots pet across floor. So, drop kicked the cat and then slapped it. 
Yeah, and West Ham are going to deal with the matter internally. They yeah, don't. What's so they're going to find him? Who, yeah, how much money he's already got? You know, they don't condone violence. Except you're you're going to keep him playing. Yeah, it's grim. What is, like what is wrong with people? And he threw a shoe at the cat. Mm. And the, the the act of filming it and po- sending it somewhere and posting it like it's. Uh, I just I just can't get my head around it. Like it, it's you know the first the first thing I saw yesterday was actually Katie McCabe tweeting about it saying absolutely unacceptable behaviour. Like you, you have people within football who are who are calling this out. Like it's just oh, it's, it, it's awful and, and bizarre in, in in equal measure. So I, I don't know what they're going to do West West Ham. I mean maybe, maybe they look at the apology. They're going to think this is a very important player for us. We're in a race for fourth. Going to play him at the weekend and keep the head down and do nothing about it. That's what they're going to do because they lack any moral courage. Like, can't you can't mistreat animals? You can't mistreat people. Like, there's obviously very serious stuff going on at the moment that has to play out uh, legally. But this is, yeah, Kurt Zuma says he did it. Kurt Zuma's guilty of this. We know it's him. Get rid of him. And football should say, no, I'm sorry. It's not like oh, you served your time. No, no, you can go back and spend your millions and live your life, but like, I don't know, it's pretty grim. Are we going to beat France, lads? Don't know. France very good. I think it'll be a great game. I think there's years where France were bad and we should have beaten them, and we did beat them. Like the where the second drop goal, that was not a great French team, and they nearly beat us, uh, and we were a good team. Like a very good team that was on the verge of winning the uh, Grand Slam. This time it feels like we're a good team. They might be slightly better than us. And if they win a classic and we feel alive, that's all I want as a sports fan. Yeah. I think it's just about us performing and not making too many mistakes. Remember, it was the game in COVID. It was at like late 2020. We made so many mistakes in Paris. We actually had chances at times to, to win the game. I think that's what I wanted to, be, wanted to see. I really felt the Wales game was almost like a football match when you go to Old Trafford back in the Fergie area and you lose 2-0. That's how Wales lost the other day to Ireland. It was quite a comfortable. It was a contained bonus point victory, and that was very promising. And it's going to be fascinating to see now when they're at a higher altitude against the French with their flair and with their, with their fantastic halfbacks, how we're going to cope with it. So it's, uh, this is what it's all about. And uh, I think everybody's buzzed about the Six Nations this year more so than possibly they would have been in the last few years. So do you think we're going to win? Yes. All right. But um, virtual insanity was a complete washout last week. So, Although I did say 20 points against Wales, so I can ho- hold on to my hat with that. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I feel we, we might edge a close one here. Nice. Like, I mean, like it was interesting that you did join on the, the Welsh bandwagon uh, or the Welsh bashing bandwagon with us last week. John, I thought. What's this us business? You you clambered off it. Sorry, you're joining Jer on, on the absolute coward. No. Now, now that we won, you're like, oh, I'm back on the bandwagon. No. I went over there. I pretended to like them to their faces, and now that I'm back, it's oh, it's our bandwagon again. No, I'm I'm on the shore. Oh, I'm, right. on, I'm on the shore staring at you. Was, his face last week how, when, how we, many, were doing our, when we were doing our business. Yeah, he's like, I was so, oh, no, I was so no, disappointed in you guys. No. How many Wales figurines you got in your backpack from Grogs? Oh, loads, man. <laughs> Are you, are you going to be hawking the Johnny Sexton and Paul O'Connell ones around town? Yeah, 100%. So <laughs> sell them for uh, a marked up price before the game, the next home game. But no, I just wanted to say I was just very disappointed in, in, in you, John, you know, and, and you as well, Ger, for, well, <laughs> for, for getting it right. For getting it right. <laughs> OTBM. OTBM brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. It's your best face forward at their new and improved Razors. We're going to bring you Joseph and Doe's full AFCON rap a little bit later on. But here's a quick taste of his chat with Joe Malloy. 
they have that, I will say, prudent approach to say, listen, it's better not to uh, to do too much and go to the final than try to be to play expansive football. And uh, but they have a player who can play that expansive football, and I think also that will help. That will help uh, Salah. So yeah. at the moment, the system is not based on Salah. Mm. As a, maybe they think that it's based on Salah, but it's not based on Salah. Because Salah's game is based on uh, ball position. It's yeah. not based on defending without the ball. It's, that That's not possible. He needs the ball all the time. Yeah, I agree. And that's, that's why I put it to you that I, I find it hard to believe that Salah enjoys this style of football. I'm sure he has great pride playing for Egypt and loves playing for Egypt, but... It just seems like a great waste of one of the great footballers to play this style of football. <laughs> it's a great, it's a, such a waste. It's such a waste. <laughs> uh, do you know what else is a waste? Let's stay on that point. Okay, we go with this very, very, very miserable brand of football and then we get to penalties. <laughs> and then we don't even let our brilliant footballer take a penalty. I mean, at this stage, I just give up. I just, I'm walking out of the room. You're, you're on fire today. <laughs> <laughs> I, need, I, need, I need to speak to someone in Egypt. You say, Joe is not happy. I'm really not happy. More of that goodness coming your way at around about half past nine this morning. I'm going to give you another opportunity to enter our uh, competition. Um, this is an absolutely brilliant prize that we have for you. Um, uh, there's daily prizes of jerseys up for grabs. But our special competition for you is that Aer Lingus, official airline sponsor of the Irish rugby team, bring home advantage to wherever the team plays. And to celebrate, we have an amazing prize, a pair of match tickets, flights and two nights accommodation to be won for this weekend's Six Nations clash between France and England, between France and Ireland, between France and Ireland, as well as a signed jersey. To get your name in the draw for this great prize, tell us who our mystery voice is. Props are a different animal. They've, they're like wrestlers or boxers of a fighting weight. To enter, you can WhatsApp the answer to 087-918-180. You can tweet us at Off The Ball or you can comment on our YouTube channel and each daily winner will win an Ireland jersey and we'll go into the draw on Thursday for the grand prize as well. And that's the same number you can uh, get your comments in for us. You can leave a comment on the YouTube channel as well. Now, we want to move on because Bellator is returning to Dublin's 3 Arena on Friday, February the 25th. That's just uh, three weeks away at this stage. It features a massive domestic clash between Liam McCourt and Sinead Kavanagh, who are both ranked fourth and fifth in the featherweight division. And I'm delighted to say Sinead Kavanagh is with us this morning. Sinead, how are you getting on? How are you, lads? <laughs> I'm all good. Uh, less than three weeks to go, really, at this stage. How How is the preparation? What's your level of fitness and, and expectation like at the moment? Uh, everything's going well. I even have wrestler here. <laughs> I have a swollen ear from wrestling and... Um, Everything's going well. Uh, I'm looking forward to the fight. Um, I prepared well, and I just had a obviously just a training camp before before this one, so everything's looking great. The wrestler ear is that something that you've obviously targeted in advance of this fight? Does that mean you're you're doing more wrestling sparring in the build up to this one than normal? Yeah, no, yeah. I've been. Um, I love wrestling anyway, so I've I've. Uh, I do that every every week, every Friday. It's a hard it's a hard class to do, and I do it with the best. I'm doing it with Sergey, and um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just a bad thing. It's terrible looking. <laughs> the scars of battle. It's a uh, you know that's 
It's like um, I thought. It's, is it not something that you're kind of proud of? A bit of a mark that this is who we are. Come and come and get me. Yeah. Well, I think the lads love it, but I, I don't think I need it. <laughs> so I don't. When when does your uh, when's the worst part of training camp for you? Is it these next few weeks where it's hardest, where actually the fight comes really into focus, or are the next couple of weeks the best because you're feeling the fittest and most ready to go? Um, yeah, the, the I um everything's going well. Everything's these few weeks now. We're just just getting the training and just thinking of what what you need you need the most, you know. Um. And the thing I hate is water loading. <laughs> it's when you have to drink load of seven liters of water a day, like you know. So that's that's not no fun, especially in the cold. Is the point of the water loading so that uh, you're flushing everything out of your body, but also then when the weight cut happens towards the end, you're kind of ready to lose a lot of liquid if you have to on the day. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so uh, just getting. Preparing your body for losing a few more pounds um, before the fight, you know. Pounds that, like, it's, it's hard to get off you, so that's what you do. And is, is the weight cut something that you are okay with generally, or is it actually getting harder and harder as you go on? Oh, no, it's getting easier. Like, my body's getting used to it now these days, you know. So, um, yeah, no, it, it, it's... My body's used to it, you know. Um, and... Uh, Every every time it, it, you don't get used to the the way the way court like, but um, you get me more prepared for it. How long does it take after the weight cut for you to, or any fighter really, to, to get back on form or to be back in the zone again and to be back feeling good about life? Does it, is it a couple of hours or, or how quick is that turnaround? Yeah, it's a couple of <laughs> it's a couple of hours. Yeah, once you get your liquids back in and um, you start to feel. Yeah, a few hours then later, you'll start to feel a bit, bit more normal, a bit more witty again, you know. Just to go back to the the um, difference between the boxing and the wrestling, you you um, started your international career as, as a boxer. That's kind of I think how people might have been familiar with you. You first, so I I don't know. I mean, but I'm assuming that was something that's a skill set that you you rely on in moments of crisis. Then you have to acquire the skills of wrestling to become competitive at MMA. Is that something that's yeah, uh, you you need to keep working on the boxing skills still because, like you know, you you double down on your own strength. Or how do you get that balance in your training? Yeah, it's like I've actually gone back to boxing. Like, um, but this fight, I've gone. I feel like that I got a bit like sloppy, like in other fights, you know. And I just need to go back to a boxing club and and train with the boxers. Like, it's a very hard sport. Like, you have so many different sports in, in one sport. Like and I'm doing wrestling and doing jits and um yeah you just have to keep you can't let one slip and you just have to keep 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 up with every every sport like and it's the very ba- hard in the body you know well I was gonna say even the balance and, and brain space and time is like this week I'm gonna map out my training sessions and part of it is gonna be wrestling part of it's gonna be kicking part of it's gonna be boxing part of it's gonna be defending all those as well. Yeah, that's what you do. Yeah, you have a special special day for what you're gonna do, and and just hope you're not so tired to, to do it. You know. And is that the case this late in the the training camp, Sinead? Is it is, is it still a fairly varied program? Yeah, I yeah I know exactly what I'm I'm doing every day. You know, um, I have that. It's like a sink now with my body to know what I'm doing. 
every day. When, when do you start thinking about tactics for the fight? Is, has that already come into view? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'll be thinking about that, I suppose, when you, you know who your opponent is. Hmm. I'll, um, I'll get... I know what what um what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, and yeah, try to bring that into the train and try to get that with spars and and get people to kind of um uh kind of act like her and and fight like her, you know. For a fight like this, where you you know your opponent so well and you've you've known Leah for a, a long time, uh. Again, it's it's. I guess it's double edged. On one side, you're like, okay, this there's a comfort. You know exactly what's going to happen. On the other, it's not that you get complacent, but she might do something that you don't expect, and that could be more shocking because you're supposed to know what she's going to do. So, how do you prepare for what she's preparing? It don't really because we haven't sparred in a long time. Like we know each other, and we like we've done some good things for each other, you know, for uh, our training camps and stuff like that. But um. We kind of we kind of like distanced ourselves last while and because um, we kind of knew this was gonna this was gonna happen so um I think Leah has improved and 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 so has I so I don't I don't think we know we what each other is gonna gonna do you know we just have to wait for the night and just feel about it that night talk to us a little bit about your, the aftermath of the, the Chris Cyborg fight what was your recovery like from that uh, physically obviously you know it, it's important to recover but psychologically as well the impact that uh, a loss like that can have on some fighters it's going to make them say right that's enough on other fighters you've clearly decided that you want to come back and, and you know maybe get another crack at a title at some point yeah definitely like, I, I, like she's the best in the world like you know and um I went in there. I went in there to win, you know. The other girls went in there to survive. I went in there to throw down. I went toe to toe with Chris Cyborg, and I hit her, and she hit me, and and it was someone was going to get laid out, you know. And it was just <laughs> it was me this time, you know. But yeah, of course I want to go back there. Like like I turned her off. I done some great things in that fight as well, you know. I turned her off the cage. I put her on the cage, and I just I just went for it then. Um, so yeah, I just I want to um, fix my mistake and and get back there again and fight her, you know. And I don't know. Do you do you go through the video of it and go right? That's the bit where I lost this fight. If I was to be in the situation again, I would do this differently. Is it is it or is the fight too difficult to watch in that minute detail? No, that's exactly what I've done. Like I know I know what I've done wrong. You know, I, I rushed it. I, I rushed it too much. Like you know, I rocked her. I rocked Chris Cyborg. At the start of the fight with a right hand, so uh, you know I'm, I'm doing something right, you know. So um, I just had to, yeah, fix me mistake, and I'll go again against her. And um, is it is it a defensive thing then? Like, are, do you work on your defense to make sure that the next time when she comes like that, that you have a plan in place? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just keep the stray shots in. Like, you know, I I I gave her, I went too close to her, and uh, I got caught. You know, so. Um, keep me distance next time straight shots and that's it I think there was some talk in the build up to this fight that you might get a chance to spar with Kelly Harrington did that happen is that going to happen do you think yeah well I've been talking to Kelly you know and uh, she said that she was going to uh, fit me in <laughs> she's busy as, as uh, at the moment you know she has that book and stuff coming out isn't it but um, yeah she said she'll fit me in soon so hopefully that will That'll be this weekend or next weekend, you know, and then that's it. I'll wrap it up then. Have you sparred with her in the past? 
Oh yeah, yeah. We spar Kelly loads of times, you know. Kelly's a good girl and um we we um we big each other up and my go for each other's um heads and all, you know. So uh, we, we, we do our best for each other, yeah. Sinead, what what's the the future for you in this sport? Do you think like how how important a fight is this? What does victory mean, and, and what could defeat potentially mean? Um, I'm doing what I love. You know, I love this game. I'm doing this a long time, and um, the victory is it's getting back to the title. You know, back getting back where where I could be um, world champion. You know, and. The feat is I'll just keep going again until until I have to give it up. You know, it's 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 a fact of life when when you get taken down. You know, when when something hits you hard, like you just have to get back up and you have to keep on going. And I love this game and I ain't giving up until I get what I want. Where does that drive come from for you? <laughs> well, it's it's hard to give up or like. I do what like you know I I I I love this and it's just a matter of it's a life um lessons from from before where you don't give up in life you know you have to just keep going no matter what life throws at you like so I'm going to do my best here and that's all you can do and I've been a bit pre- prepared for this fight so I'm ready uh, there was a, a really brilliant interview with you in the in the paper at the weekend, and um, you know people can check it out and, and see some of the stuff that you've come through. It's very interesting in the relationship with your son. Obviously, um, you know uh, you, you want to be a, a leader in his life as much as you can, but at this stage, he's also an adult now. So, uh, is that part of your drive as well that you don't want to give up? That you kind of feel like you're passing something on to the next generation? Yeah, I, yeah, I just, I just love this, this. I love the fight, and I love this, the, the whole preparation. It keeps me busy, keeps me head busy, and yeah, of course, I um, life itself was wasn't. I went through a, a difficult path at the start, so um, I just, I just try to keep ahead and try to keep um, keep busy, you know, and that's what part of life is to do. Was it a big decision for you to tell people about your backstory, or was that something that you were happy enough to share? Um, I think I came to a, a um, stage in my life where I just was comfortable in in sharing it, where I wasn't before because I used to carry it around with me. Still, I was still going through it. I think where um, this time I've kind of got over. It. I'm, it's in the past now. I'm moving forward and uh, focusing on different things. And uh, like uh, you know, at the end of the the piece, you were asked about maybe becoming a motivational speaker or something, or or going and, and sharing your story with people. And like you know, you could do this in parallel. You don't have to wait until you're finished um, to tell that story. Is that is that something where you think that like uh, you can become a role model, where you can actually show that there is an alternative? outcome possible no matter how bad the situation might seem yeah I, I, I um yeah i do i don't think that like even coaching kids and and giving them just um something like they can take their life somewhere else you know they can they can take this to another level like you know they can take they can fight the best in the world and you just have to keep it go just believe in yourself and you might get there 
that's all I can do. Like, I, I think Sinead, it's important too to hear stories like yours. Um, we we have a terrible thing where we reduce people in care or people who become homeless to statistics, and we don't really know their stories, and we don't really know what went into the whole range of different things that go into um, a family member becoming homeless, for example. And I, I thought, you know, the story that you told about your sister and your own life and the different paths that you guys are on at the moment, like, uh, it's impossible for people to to really know what went into somebody falling into homelessness and, and homelessness being something. And also then the fact that it's a decision that we make as a country to allow this to happen. Like, that's why I think it's important that your story gets told. Yeah. Yeah, you never judge a book by its cover, you know, and um, people judge people all the time, which is wrong, you know, they don't know anything about them. And um, I'm one for that story to tell, like, not to judge. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a sad story, of course, you know, and, um, from my sister and stuff, the way the way she is, and it's hard to, to like, see her, like, I go through town and she's, she's there, you know, and just... Yeah, it's 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 hard, it's hard watching her. I'm sure, like that's the thing, right? And uh, the rest of the country, we get to walk past and and we we read the stories and we hear the politicians debate on the radio about uh, about homelessness and the housing crisis. Yeah. But actually, you know, in in your family, it's a real thing, and um, uh, that's why, like, there's a humanity involved in you telling that story that actually reaches people in a way that no debate on the radio about whether or not we need to build more social and affordable housing is actually going to reach people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's just hard. It's, it's um, just seeing people like that and you don't know, you don't know their background and, and just seeing people like families and stuff, and yeah, it's it's hard, and it's a big it's a big issue here in Ireland with homeless people, like, and they're everywhere, like, absolutely every, everywhere, and it's um, yeah, it's terrible to see, you know. Yeah, and and look, I, I, we don't need to labour this anymore, but like your your um, career and your willingness to fight and your desire to keep fighting was something that it sounds like was important in helping you make good decisions along the way to to turn away from any of the potential pitfalls, uh, like drug use, for example. You know, you, you said in the piece of the weekend that heroin was everywhere at various stages and in various places that you were. How important was having an outlet in sports in, in giving you focus? Yeah, uh, very much important. Like, I, like, it kept me on a good path, like, and... Um, kept me going like it kept me um like leave like getting up out of bed and just training to bring the young flu with me and um yeah and I met my coaches all my coaches were great to me you know they they seen something special in me and they've always looked after me and um yeah it kept me going it just kept me on a good path and I'm very thankful for for um for what I don't what what a talent that I was given to keep me on that path because I well have could have ended up on uh, heroin like stuff like that. So what what age did you start boxing properly then? I was but um I done karate and then kickboxing and then I done uh 
and then I done boxing. So I've, I've been I've been doing a, a lot of sports all over the years. And then I done MMA. I started MMA when I was twenty eight, which was uh, it was late in the game, but there I am. I fought the best in the world, you know. So I'm as I said, I'm doing something right, you know, to get that to get that far is is a blessing. Yeah, because you, you boxed for Ireland. You were on a, a Katie Taylor, one of her teams, I think around, was that oh nine? Was it around then, 2010? Yeah, around there, yeah. I went to the qualifiers in the Olympics. I didn't make that, like, but, um, yeah, I've been around. I boxed for a long time. I boxed Tasha Jones, Savannah Marshall. I boxed all the top girls. And, um, yeah, it was, um, I, learned, I learned a skill in boxing. You know, but I just got too much, and I was just I fell I fell out of love with boxing, so I I joined MMA then. Falling out of love with boxing was that because of the the judging and just how difficult it was to actually get a, a fair crack of the whip, or was it the sport yeah. itself? Yeah, and funding as well. Like they didn't fund, didn't fund the uh, DOBA didn't fund funders. Like you know, and it was. Uh, yeah, it was hard. I had a son. I was needed to make money, you know. And the judging as well. Like, look at with Michael Collihan. Like, that was on the telly. Like, but, but if it wasn't on the telly, what else goes on? And uh, I seen, I seen how how dark it can get. Like, all the corruption. And MMA then was a release in in some ways. Like it was, you know, it's professional. You know, you know what's going to happen, uh, and you were going to get paid for doing something you really loved. Exactly, you know. Um, I walked in and I just let's say I wanted to go do a few. Um, there was no money in the pro boxing here, you know. It was so I went into John's gym and then like yeah, we done a few amateur fights and I went pro and and that's that was the our that was our game our game plan to do like you know was to go pro as as quick as we can you know just get there some fights behind me and John's been very good to me. You know, he's he, like I walked in there and I was I was seventy five kilos. I boxed for and he was just like, "You're not going to box at seventy five. He brought me to a nutritionist and he looked at me, you know, and he got me down to sixty six kilos. So he he took him, he took this to for another level for me, you know. Uh, and was that uh, a difficult process? Like the nutritionist says, "This is your new diet," and you're like, "Oh man, that that doesn't sound like much fun." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I was just like, "What's the, what do you have for breakfast?" I was like, "Cheerios," <laughs> and he's just like, eh, well, "That has to go," you know. <laughs> what, what do you? Yeah, replace- it was all, yeah, it was different. What, what do you end up replacing Cheerios with out of interest? <laughs> Porridge. <laughs> ah, fair enough. Uh, how how long does it take you to get used to that to that way of life, Sinead? And I, I guess even just getting used to the fact that that, that John Cavan has shown so much trust in you at that point, and you realize, right, this thing is this thing is beginning to work out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I just I done it from the start, and I changed me body, me body shape, and um, like I don't go up as heavy as I did. I don't even can't even make seventy five if I wanted it now, you know. I am. Um, yeah, John put a lot of um, trust in me, and 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 love as well from from the start, like you know, and um, like he he wanted to know my story, and I told him my story, and then. He was like, okay, like, well, you're yeah, special. Like, uh, anyone else would have gave up. And, yeah, he, he's been nothing but nice to me. Like, and I absolutely love John. Because I was going to ask, Sinead, like, how, how much of a community feel is there within the gym? How much of an environment is there for you to feel comfortable 
sharing your story. Clearly, clearly, there is quite an environment for that. In the gym, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, I just said it. I said, I said, I just said it this time around because I, I said I was over it. I'm over it now, you know. Um, and um, yeah, I just I don't go around talking about it to everyone, you know. I've said it, and either you know it, or you don't know it. It's just it is what it is. Uh, I, somebody's just texted in saying there's a, a book in your story. I, I do, I do think that's true. You know, I think it's very, it's brave to tell your story when sometimes it's difficult and it feels like there's trauma there. And you said you're still kind of living with it through or, or dealing with it, and it, it's always going to be who you are. But John Cavanaugh, it sounds like was was right. There is something really special in being able to come through those things to get to a point where you're fighting for a world title where you're going to be at the Three Arena in a couple of weeks' time and it's going to be absolutely massive and you know, it's fairly clear that you're going to be the home favourite on the night as well. So do you get to enjoy those moments or on the night itself? Is it purely and utterly focused on the fight itself? How how do you how do you make sure you feed off the crowd while not becoming too caught up in it? Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to fighting in Dublin again. I haven't been there since 2017, you know. Um, yeah, and of course it's special to me um, that... Because I had that, that dream, that's what got me up out of the bed. That's what happened, and I'm actually living it, you know. And um, there was something in me that that just kept saying, "Keep going," and I've just proven that that I, I did, I did do that for me, you know. Um, and three arena then with the crowds, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very hostile, like you know, it's real uh, Viking gladiator stuff. Um, so. Yeah, I'm glad that I've I have the Irish crowd behind me for this one because um, they're a crazy lot. But yeah, I'm just going to go in there and 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 fight and and put on a show what I do, you know. And I'm not afraid of anyone in there. And yeah, I'm just going to prove why I'm there. We wish you the very best of luck, Sinead. It's a remarkable story. Thanks a million for sharing it with us. Thanks, Emil. Thanks for having me. Sinead Kavanagh there. And, uh, that fight is on Friday, the 25th of February. It's Bellator in Dublin's Three Arena. It's obviously a massive clash between Sinead Kavanagh, who you've just been listening to, and Liam McCourt, who we had on a couple of weeks ago, ranked fourth and fifth in the featherweight division. Um, and yeah, you can get in touch with us if uh, you'd like this morning. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Or of course, you can get us as well at Off the Ball AM on Twitter. Uh, here's what we've got on OTB Sports Radio today. OTB Gold is Jerry Eisenberg the uh, legendary boxing scribe who um, spoke to us about his relationship with Muhammad Ali. He's got a new book out actually about his um, relationship with Ali. Dadcast at three, career retrospective is Kieran Fallon at four and Ronnie Delaney is OTB Gold at six. Uh, and then the show will be live tonight from seven as well. Up next this morning on OTB AM, it's Graham Garrity. OTB AM. It's 20 minutes past nine. Andrew's been in touch to say Westmead's NFT would surely be Joe Dolan. Sorry, Adrian, but uh, obviously you can't do that because, uh, uh, I mean, it was a joke in the first place, but uh, Adrian's alive. That's why he can be the bodily representation. It would yeah. be a hologram. You could actually have an NFT of Joe Dolan now. It's true. Uh, I, I would say that John Aldridge would have been uh, Adrian's choice for an NFT. I know, but that's, um, you know, surely, surely we're... He's a scouser. <laughs> well, what was his uh, Westmead Mount Rushmore? It was John Aldridge and Paddy O'Shea on there anywhere? I think so, yeah. Alongside Niall Horn and... Was, was Niall Horn and Joe Dolan on it? Yeah, possibly. 
Uh, Sora writes says, the Irish character is noble and spirited but like any large group of people at least half of us are bollockses it's <laughs> about right 50-50 I think that's being generous things well more than half of us uh, the Connick fans get very upset when you say that um, Bundy's skill set has improved playing with Ireland Bundy has had the ability to play like this and has done for Connacht he now has the lads taking lines knowing they'll get the pass change of game plan slash freedom to play I do think that like all of this can be true Bundy may have had these skills but actually they have got better it's the same with Tyg Furlong. Tyg Furlong's skills have got better because these are elite athletes practicing in an environment where they're tasked with getting better. And so therefore they are getting better. This is not an insult on Connacht. The same thing has happened with the Leinster players. Like Robbie Henshaw is getting better and better. Gary Ringrose is now playing better than he ever has. This is not a slight on the coaching ticket or the stuff that was going on before. Stop being so bloody sensitive. Like, but there's also an element of the handbrake coming off and those skills being more on show. But because the skills are more on show, you're doing it more and your skills are getting better as a result of doing it more. But it is interesting that he kind of points to, Matt Williams, I mean, points to the fact that Andy Friend has has played such a brand of rugby at Connacht that allows him to, yeah. to get that reputation. Yeah, he's like literally praising Andy Friend while the Connacht, oh, oh, you, you, oh, okay, you're allowed to say that. You're allowed to say that he's doing it because, okay, uh, everybody's... So ready to be upset about stuff. We're going to bring you the full Joseph and Doe interview with Joe Malloy uh, a little bit later on. But up next, our own Ashley O'Reilly has been talking to mead legend Graham Garrity. Have a look. Graham Garrity, I'm delighted to be joined by a mead legend. Um, me being a mead woman as well, it's brilliant to have you on. And it came about because I had seen Paddy Curtis, who was the manager of uh, the college team out in New York. He had actually put up a video on Instagram. And it was of you shoveling snow in Gaelic Park. And yeah, yeah. I, I texted him and I said, is that Graham Garrity? And he said, he said, yeah, geez, he's over and he's coaching the lads here. And I said, geez, how did that come about? But it was just so great to see you doing so well. And how did it all come about? Um, I was actually over visiting Paddy at Thanksgiving. And um, he'd taken over the college team because he'd won the championship um, the previous year. So he got to be the manager I think that's how to select it. And um, he was starting training that week and asked, would I come and take a session with him? So I did. And I enjoyed this day, enjoyed it. And he asked me back then in January to do a kind of intense kind of 10 days training with him. I think the reason behind that was because most lads are away at college in, in different areas of, of the state. And they were all off at that stage. So they're all back in, in New York. And it was only probably time they would get everybody's training collectively so it was so the timing was good for me and for him and yeah and these are all american born lads like 18 to 24 years of age what's the skill yeah. level like um i was actually very surprised and i played in new york years ago back in I suppose the early 90s and, and uh, i suppose the skill level at that time and most of them were, were irish it wasn't yeah. great but uh, <laughs> it's it's come on leaps and bounds since then and most of these guys are playing since they were probably five or six anyway, you know, mm-hmm. having probably most of them are, you know, their parents are Irish anyway, so they grew up uh, playing Gaelic football and, you know, with the Gaelic ball. So I was very surprised with the skill level they have and, um, you know, the commitment as well. So, you know, it's like we're looking forward to they're coming over here in two weeks, so really looking forward to meeting up with them again and, and starting, uh, I suppose, like we'll have a, a challenge match on, on the Wednesday that are here and then they play Friday and Saturday, so. You know, I'll be looking forward to see how they get on against the Irish teams here. Yeah, definitely. And would any of these lads be on the New York team? Um, I'd say there's probably going to be maybe 
four or five of them maybe on the panel. So I don't know. They're only kind of in pre-season at the minute. There'll definitely be some of them on the junior team anyway. I think mm-hmm. they come over here as well to play in, in the junior championship. But um, there probably one or two of them would definitely be good enough to be on the senior team anyway. Jeez. And you obviously managed uh, Blanche IT. So when you yeah. train them, say, and then you train the New York lads, is there much difference in the skill? Um, I suppose like when I was training at Blanche, then we probably had a couple of county players. So that mm. is the only difference. Um, now, there was a lot of kind of lads that were, you know, mediocre club footballers as well that were on the panel. But they could, they could have, I suppose that's the mixture you have in every team. Um, yeah. But I think that the one thing with, the New York lads is you now they'd know each other from playing against each other, you know, week in, week out. The college lads here might have seen one lad, you know, from one end of the, the year to the other or, or when they're in college. So it's, it, it's, that's the, I suppose, advantage that they, that they have that way. But mm-hmm. the big disadvantage to have is that they don't have challenge games. They, they can't play against anybody really, only the, New York juniors or, or some of the senior team as well. So that's the disadvantage to have coming over that they don't have those, um, you know, the luxury of having, you know, pre-season games or, or, or even, you know, they enter at the, at the semi-final stage here. So mm-hmm. the guys that they'll be playing against would have had, you know, come through the league base of, of the championship. So that's the disadvantage that they have. Yeah, they don't get as much game time. And what did you no. make of, of Gaelic Park? You said you were out there in, I think it was 93, 94. I was actually out yeah. there in 2013. I remember people telling me that you would come out years ago. And I think it was me Juniors yeah. you played on. The me Juniors, yeah. yeah. Disbanded then. <laughs> but we were after winning the Under-21 Championship here. So there was four or five of us of the, that Under-21 team that played in um, New York. Uh, there was a local fellow here beside me, Jerry Heavey from Belieber. He was the manager of the team and um, they brought us out for, I think we were there probably for six or seven weeks and we ended up winning the championship. But it was, I know it was only a junior championship. It was great to, I suppose for them, they hadn't won it before. And uh, I suppose for us going out as well, it was, you know, it was great to, I suppose, make it worth your while traveling as you did come home with something. Oh, absolutely. And when I went out, I went out for three months and I didn't come back for three years. That didn't happen to you? Yeah. <laughs> no, well, it nearly did. Um, I think the rest of the lads were getting ready to go and I said, oh, I don't think I'm going to go home. I'm going to stay here. And I got cold feet at the last minute, so I ended up coming back. And just um, talking about as well the Blanchetown IT, so you actually, if I'm right in saying, actually went back and played for them. Yeah, so I think that came about, I was training the college um, and I trained them to that Division 3 championship and then the following year then we won the uh, Trench Cup and uh, I was, I actually went back to college then so I ended up playing then in the, in the Seagerson. I always wanted to play a Seagerson Cup anyway and because I was the manager I was able to pick myself anyway. So it was, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the one advantage of us. Oh God, but, make the uh, team around you. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I great help there with Val Andrews as well. So he was, he was lecturing the college too, and and he, I suppose, typical Val, he comes in when we're doing well and, and tries to take over. But uh, he was a great <laughs> help as well. Yeah. And so you would have probably been in your what late thirties at that time. I was, um, when I was playing Sigerson, I was forty. So oh right, uh, yeah. 
Wow. And they actually played the following year as well. So it would have been 41 playing. Probably one of the oldest. That's <laughs> ongoing, fair play. Yeah, and... nah, listen, it was, I suppose, the fact that we hadn't huge numbers either, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's, um, it was easier. If any of the bigger colleges, you probably wouldn't have even got on the subs bench, but uh, take advantage of every, every opportunity. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you actually went on to do a course and then went into being a social worker actually after that. Yeah, I'm a social care worker with three steps. So um, I've been off actually for the last year or so. So I'm coming back now in a couple of weeks. So looking forward to that now. It's, it's, it's been a long, I suppose, a long haul getting getting back. But uh, we have to go back sometime. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And they obviously gave you some time off um, as well. Yeah. And mm. what sort of work did you, do you do with them or, or what's it like? Well, I suppose, like, how does I work in their residential houses so the kids stay there full time um, they be they just they're there for different reasons maybe mm-hmm. for broken homes or, or you know for for several different reasons so we just kind of look after them and trying to educate them in the way of life really and, and prepare them for for moving on to stay with us till they're 18 um, there are some exceptions where they stay longer but uh, just you know get them ready for life and get them ready for work and, and really to just and get them back into society. Brilliant. And obviously we all heard about your illness that you had um, and you're saying there that you took some time off. It was quite a serious illness. Um, I remember when the news broke, It, I think it shook not just the GA community, but it shook literally a, a lot of people across yeah. Ireland. Um, how are you doing now? Uh, I'm doing good now, thank God. Um, as I said, it was a long road, but mostly... Like tiredness now is 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 still a big thing, but just you know that could take a couple of years to get over that. Maybe just getting older as well. But um, mm-hmm. it's you know like three steps that give me all the time I need to so to get back right. And, you know, so I'm ready to to move on and and, and put all that behind me. But uh, you know, so the family's been very good to me um, and friends. So it's it's you know it's it's. It's time to move on and try and put it all behind me at this stage. Oh, absolutely. And um, as you said, it must have been a very difficult time for your family and friends mm-hmm. as well. And just mentally for to understand why it happened or how it happened, because I think I remember listening to the first podcast you had did was, I think it was with Ushie McConville. Um, yeah. It was the first time I had heard uh, since it all happened, how you were doing. And you had said that it just sort of came out of nowhere. So mentally, is it hard to sort of understand all of that? Yeah, I suppose. Like I was at work and I was a colleague was with me, Ian Daly. And um, he, I was just chatting to him. It was about 10 o'clock at night. And I just got a pain the front of my head. I just thought I was getting a headache. And it just kind of went straight through my head into the back of my neck. And it was horrific. Like, he knew straight away there was something something not right. And mm. he rang an ambulance straight away. got me downstairs and put me on the couch. And, and, you know, I suppose it was his quick thinking. And, and I suppose the ambulance service from Navin Hospital there, to, I think they were there in about 20 minutes, you know. So I got in straight away and they diagnosed what was wrong straight away so I was able to kind of get the I suppose the, the help I needed quickly and that was the, the key I think really you know so um, mm-hmm. I had the operation then the following day I think it was an eight hour operation so it was it, it was huge like you know but thankfully I came out the other side of it um, 
you know, with no no real side effects as such. So, um, you know, delighted with the care I got in Bowman. And I suppose, like, care, like, afterwards as well, even, you know, the amount of goodwill and, and good wishes that I got from, I suppose, all over the world as well, which surprised mm. me kind of in a way too, you know. So, yeah. all the expats, I think, in Australia and Canada and America, you know, England. It's amazing. And I, I think sometimes it shows just what the the GA community uh, can do for you and can be there for you, especially when you go through these times. There really was a big outpouring. Um, I yeah, spoke yeah. to Trevor Giles around that time. We were, we had an interview scheduled and he said he had, you know, text you and just wished you well and all yeah. of that. Um, one of the messages actually seen was from Kieran Donaghy as well. He just put up on Twitter that you were his first roommate in the international rules and you looked out from at yeah. that time and, you know, we just wished you well. Um, so no, it, it, it's great to to see you doing so well again. Ah, it is, and, and it's nice to get those messages as well. I suppose from lads you played against, people you don't even know. Um, mm. But uh, you know, it it does help, and you know, I suppose the first couple of months were difficult. But um, as I said, we get over all these things, and just you know, there's worse people after me out there. So there's no point in I suppose you know thinking about it too much. Oh, well, it's great to, to hear you doing so well. And just speaking about the international rules, did you enjoy playing it, the physicality of it? Uh, I did, yeah. I think I, that was probably the thing that appealed to me kind of more so than the game itself because it, it can be scrappy. You know, the physicality, we don't probably get as, as much now in the GA. And I think that was a spectacle for everybody really to, to uh, you know, there always knew there was going to be contact or a row or something I think that's appealed to a lot of the Irish people as well but like it did get overboard I think it was in um, 96 kind of it got a bit you know I think it was in Crow Park Sean yeah. Ireland could have been a manager at the time it did get very aggressive and I think the tackle after after the ball or the antics of you know after the ball was gone was a bit too much but uh, you know it's good to see it back again but it's pro- for me, it's not the same as it was to take the physicality out of a bit. And I think, as I said, that's a bit appeal to a lot of the spectators going to the games. You had a serious injury. I remember it was like uh, your your neck, wasn't it? It came, came down right yeah, on top of Yeah, so um, that's what I said. Like the, the tackle itself was fine. But the fact that I had my arms trapped, I couldn't protect myself when I was mm-hmm. falling. I banged my head off the ground and I was knocked unconscious. So um, I probably should have spent the night in, 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 in the matter hospital, but uh, I decided to, to, to leave, which I shouldn't have probably, you know. <laughs> But, Where did you go? Um, did you did you just want to go out or what was going on? No, I just I went back to the reception. I ended up going back to the hotel. Oh. I, think I, I went to bed then early because I wasn't feeling no. well. You know, so obviously mm-hmm. I had a bit of concussion still. So well, not wise. Not no. wise, no, not at all. Um, and obviously it was it's brilliant to play for your country. And then as you said, playing against lads and playing with lads that you probably, you know, had rivalries against. How did you oh, get yeah. on with all the yeah. I would get on. Like I suppose the fact that we were training here for maybe five or six weeks beforehand, and then when you go out, then you're obviously you know you're training every day. Was uh, as I stayed with Kieran Donny here, and then I went then to went to Australia, and uh, they were calling it the room names. And I was, was Graham Garrett, and I says, I says, please don't put me with Kieran McGinley or something. Kieran McGinley, I said, oh Jesus, no, because we over the years we would have. Kind of knock lumps out of each other. I said, yeah. 
I, I'd visions of waking up during the night and he kicking the crap out of me or something. <laughs> but uh, no, pure gentleman, like so. But he's obviously, you know, he doesn't on the pitch. He's a fiery character as off. I think he's one of the nicest dads you'd meet, you know. But um, yeah, I'd we played times like that. He probably thought the same about you. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I suppose over the years, um, our, all our pre-season chat or pre-championship games we would have played Armagh in probably a month before the championship started and it was just the referee would throw the ball in and I think they used to get Pat McEnany to referee most of the games because he just throw the Let ball in and that was it then we'd knock lumps out of each other but uh, once it was over then you know that was it like kind of to prepare us for what was to come but um, yeah no like to, to play with some of the best players in the country was fabulous like, and I suppose the trips away are always special as well because we're all together every day, you know, you eat and drink together. And I was going to say sleep together. We didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God you didn't. <laughs> but I'm sure that you, you kept good friendships with them over the years then. Oh, yeah, you'd always be in, well, you wouldn't be in contact with them that much, but if you meet them out and that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, you'd always have something to talk about, all right. Brilliant. And, Another interesting thing about you is that you actually had trials with Arsenal. I always remember this story growing up. Yeah. And then you think, geez, what could have been, like, if you maybe concentrated on soccer, do you think that could have been the path you would have went yeah, down? Um, I don't know. I, I hadn't played a huge amount of it here. I, was, I, was, I always played at Kenston Rovers and, and um, you know, we were in the Beaton District League. But, uh, you know, to get that call was... was out of the blue totally really came through Alex Ferguson I think being at the Mead Dublin game and, and he commented on I think myself and Tommy Dow one or two of the Dublin players but I got a phone call uh, from I suppose Arsenal to go for, for trials so I thought I'd done well over there but I think the time they were looking for someone to replace Lee Dixon and I just wasn't ready for that but I think if it was left probably you know, you, you need probably six months a year to get your kind of bearings and, and, and you know, to get in on, on the whole professional kind of soccer end of it. But uh, it wasn't for me to come back here. And, and, and you know, I suppose Gaelic was my first love and that's what really what I wanted to do. Yeah, and me as a mead person, thank God you did. Yeah, I'm delighted you, you chose the path you did. Yeah, we, well, we had a few good years after that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I might bring you down uh, memory road, if you don't mind. Um, the 1999, you, you captained Mead to the All-Ireland that year. I remember yeah. you lifting the cup. It was in the, the middle of Crow Park, actually yeah. on the pitch, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I suppose that was, um, it was a good thing and it was a bad thing for me as well. I suppose any player wants to, I suppose, play for the county and then the captain and winning All-Ireland was fantastic. And they all, everyone wants to climb the steps mm-hmm. of the Hogan stand, but I think, for safety and crowd reasons that 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 tried that that year, I think. But um the positive thing about it was when I went round kind of the, the perimeter of the pitch afterwards, you see all your friends and I suppose lads you played with and selectors and mentors over the years. So and my own club mates and, and I suppose dads that trained me over the years. So that was the good thing about it. And I get to, I got to meet my parents as well, which you know, it was on a crowded pitch, you wouldn't see anybody probably for you know, a day or two until the whole thing died down. So that was the plus side. But listen, to lift it anywhere was an honour for me and it was something special that you never forget. Yeah, no, I, I remember it. Like, I actually, I got your autograph that day. <laughs> Funny thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
I actually was. I was waiting in a. We were in the county club and in Chocolin. So oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's all arrived back, and I think I was six or seven at the time. And I remember saying to my mom, I "Was like, I'm going to get his autograph." And my mom was sort of pulling me back. And I remember you were up. Uh, you were with John Boylan up the very top of the marquee. I just squeezed through a few people and, and got your autograph that day. So it, yeah, yeah I think, it. you know, I suppose that was the good thing. I suppose then about you know, it's 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 all kind of nearly enclosed now. You don't get to to, to see the players mm. now. That time, you know, the county club was kind of the attraction for everybody. The team went back there. We mixed with 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 the supporters and and you know it was there were great occasions and great for us as well. I suppose to to, to meet. I suppose the fans as well, and mm-hmm. you know, so it was all kind of a little kind of a, a big family thing then, you know, compared to now you nearly can't yeah. get near any player now. That's what I'm. Uh, that's what I was going to ask. Do you think it's changed a lot? I think it has. Yeah, I suppose social media probably has a lot to, I suppose to play too. You know, players we, really, I suppose that time we were just talking about it yesterday. Like after most games, we used to all go for a drink, and you nearly mm-hmm. can't do that now. Just everybody has a camera phone and. No matter what you do, then it's up on social media. And yeah. I think it's you know the players need to enjoy the game now as well as you know enjoy what happens after games rather than you know if you lose a game now you're nearly going to train and nearly straight away you know so it's it's I think it's it's pushing probably a lot of players away from playing inter county football as well because the commitment is massive. Massive. And anytime I talk to anyone who has stepped away, a lot of people say just it, it takes over your whole life. So you nearly have to make a decision whether you want this type of career or you want to play for your county or family mm. or different things. I know there's people that can, can balance it all, but it's it's a really big toll on a lot of lads and girls. Yeah, it is tough. And I suppose for the younger guys coming in as well, you know, they're at college, they're playing college mm. football, club football, county football. And then trying to balance that with friends as well. And then if, if you have any relationship at all, you know, wherever you're with, you know, they have to row in behind as well because it's, it's more difficult for them because you're not allowed to go out or... Yeah. Like, well, that's the way it's gone now. Players don't go out anymore and look after their body probably a little bit better than what we used to maybe, you know. <laughs> but um, it's, as I said, they need to, I think, enjoy enjoy life and enjoy playing sport and and what goes with it and just bringing it back to you again and and your good memories what sort of captain were you like were you a talker in the dressing room uh, i suppose every captain is but like when i was captain we had huge leaders everywhere like mm-hmm. the trevor giles john mcdermott darren fay you know tommy dowd so you didn't you didn't really have to say a whole lot you obviously you know when we're having meetings and you, you'd say a few words but then like we had the best talker in the world and Sean Boylan really as well mm-hmm. so you know he took probably a lot of pressure off anybody that was captain you know because I suppose every every game before you go out you just have the last few words and, and that was it but I think once the game was on everybody kind of stepped up to the plate and, and took on that mantle of you know doing something extra for the team and that was kind of special about those from, I suppose, 96. Well, if you go back to 87, 88, mm-hmm. kind of, they were the same as well, like the, the huge leaders all over the pitch. And that continued up to probably maybe 2001 and things have kind of been on the slide since then. Yeah, unfortunately, um, Sean Boylan, what a man. Obviously, everything that he's done for, for me, football. What was your relationship like with him? Um, we actually had a very good relationship. I think he, Sean kind of had a good relationship with most of the players anyway. 
Um, he was always kind of somebody that you were able to turn to and, and, and talk to really, you know, mm-hmm. man, about anything. And, uh, you know, he's the, the wise man and, and, you know, you'd listen to what he's going to say really, you know, and he'd steer you, you know, the best of his ability. And, you know, it was a, I was lucky, I suppose, that I grew up in that era where I was able to play under him and, and you know, me, GA and G in general have an awful lot to thank him for. Big time, and he's still going. He's still, yeah, uh, he was in yeah. with the, the under-20s there and down. Um, Connor Laverty and Marty Clare yeah. and Brendy McVeigh, they were all in there together. That was unbelievable to see um, him still at this age. Yeah, still I there. think he was, with, he, he was with UCD with them as well, I think. And that's how that kind of came about. But it, it keeps him young, you know. He's yeah. a great man and... and, and you know, he loves the sport and I think anything that he can do to help anybody, he will. Mm-hmm. That's definitely the, the vibe you get from Sean. And he had some mad training techniques. Betty's down, Hill of Tara, I think he's did some water polo and he's, he's did some, some yeah. mad things. <laughs> we, we played football with tennis balls and rugby balls and everything. Like it was, so we were, so this fella's mad half the time, you know, but it was, <laughs> I suppose it was all, you know, when you're looking back then, it was all kind of like hand-eye coordination and, mm. you know, judging the bounce of the ball and, you know, different things. We played rugby as well a couple of times and but it gets off for support play. We played basketball, you know. So, you know, he 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 had uh, all these kind of different... I think he was way ahead of his time. Yeah. Really, you know, um, but, uh, you know, it, it left it interesting, you know. We often trained in Gormerston was uh, in the pool with buoyancy jackets on us. Some of the lads couldn't swim. And, you know, you were in, like, it was a deep pool there, so it was about 12 foot. But if you stopped running, you were sinking to the bottom. So it was, <laughs> it was for lads to keep moving. <laughs> and could you swim? Uh, not great, but I was able to kind of keep myself up anyway. So Graham Garrity dishing the dirt on what it was like under Sean Boylan with Ash a little bit uh, earlier this week. Now, uh, Episode 3, Season 2 of The Football Pot is live. They've been talking mass red cards, Clifford's range, James O'Donoghue's handling masterclass, Sigerson debate and Cork struggles. And maybe the dubs are coming up with Paddy Andrews as well. Much more as well. Get it while it's hot exclusively on the OTB Sports app. We are giving away an amazing prize of a pair of match tickets, flights and two nights accommodation in Paris to be won for this weekend's Six Nations clash between France and Ireland as well as a signed jersey. Daily winners get an Irish jersey and you'll also everybody who enters will be on the chance of winning that amazing overall prize. It's all in association with our friends at Aer Lingus. This morning's winner correctly identified this voice. Props are a different animal. They've, they're like wrestlers or boxers of a fighting weight. Uh, former Ireland coach Radio Sullivan. Jason O'Shea, good man yourself. You identified uh, that and so you are our daily winner today. And as I said, everybody goes into the uh, draw uh, later on this week for the overall prize. A reminder, OTBAM. Brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. OTB AM. With Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. 